Hello and welcome to the Big 12 Country Podcast, where four guys in jockstrap will be covering college football and providing content and HSOs from around the Big 12. I'm your host, Corey, back after a uh, way too long hiatus with Carson. Say hi to the folks, Carson. What's going on, everybody? Glad to be back. So glad to be back. Um, After, I don't know, it's probably been about four or five weeks at this point. Hopefully, you notice a big difference right off the bat. We sound a lot better, I hope, at least to me, we do. Um, (laughs) Well, Carson, it was kind of a, I don't know, a snowball of all kinds of crap between... (laughs) Uh, my work schedule kind of got picked up and, um, I guess long story short, making up for some things, uh, previous years, we got a little busy. There were some nights I got called in, uh, and weekends I got called in to do some things from COVID people had gotten behind the year before and we had to make up for that. So there was that on some of the nights. And then also, uh, you had some high school football on some of the nights and we couldn't Mm -hmm. do it. And then, um, just, uh, overall, mother nature got in the way last week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We were going to record. Uh, last week in the uh, freaking tornado blew through Tulsa area. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of shut things down because it was just going to be too late by the time the storm had passed and everything. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the equipment. Um, you know, we had the, I don't know, our last show, for those of you who painstakingly sit through it, I'm sure you noticed it sounded terrible. Um, we, you know, the, all the background noise was kind of overpowering everything. You couldn't, couldn't really get enough volume out of the show either. I, like I was telling Carson, I, I can remember when I first uploaded it, getting on the highway and trying to listen to it. And I, I had to crank my volume in my truck, uh, to just about max to hear it. So <clears throat> hopefully things sound a little clear. You don't have the buzzing and everything in the background. We apologize for the delay, but this equipment is not cheap <laughs> and it took time to get the money together to get it all. So uh, we're working with some new equipment, better equipment. I've got a new mic, too, as well. So hopefully that, that kind of helps things as well. My mic was uh, dying, apparently. Um, not something I'd ever really dealt with. Before this, we had, you know, when we first started, we just had, like, the traditional dynamic microphones, you know, yeah. uh, that everybody kind of starts out with. And they're durable. They're tough. You just don't quite get the quality of sound out of them. So uh, we switched over to the cardioid mics, and I used a... Uh, a um, I like it, the Audio Technica mic, and I'd had that mic for uh, since about 2017, and I, it's just I guess done so many hours and hours of recording and heat and getting hot, it just it didn't want to hold its volume anymore. So it sounded I'd have to crank it so high that that was part of the background noise you were hearing. So, long story short, hopefully things sound a little bit better now. Um, I don't know about on your end, Carson, but it definitely sounds better on my end, um, and we'll figure things out. Hopefully this will be our last big break. Uh, me and Carson were talking about the other day, we will continue this out through the bowl season. Um, you know, normally I'm not a huge basketball person, but I will keep up with it. Carson will kind of take the lead on that and we'll go through basketball season. Um, and then obviously softball and baseball like we normally do and, and hopefully be back on track for next year. So we apologize for the, I don't know, four or five weeks or whatever it was we were off, but it just, I wasn't going to put a product out there that sounded like crap. And I'm pretty sure Carson, you feel the same way. Agreed, hundred percent. I I would rather. I mean, I I know people that would just kind of sh- soldiers through it, but I don't know. Just the sound of the program and everything—that's kind of a big deal to me. So, to me, it wasn't worth it. But uh, anyway, while we were gone, a lot of stuff happened. Um, <laughs> yeah. We want to get into a couple of those things real quick. Obviously, 
you know, on the field wins, losses, et cetera. You know, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Oklahoma finally losing a game. Um, OSU looking like probably the best team in the conference right now, um, especially if they continue on the offensive side of the ball like that. At least I think in the power rankings you got to have the number one. I don't know. I don't. I don't care what people think about you know as far as who's the best team or whatever right now. That'll work itself out on the field, or, or who the best team is this year. That'll work itself out on the field. But at least in a power ranking system right now, you probably have to have Oklahoma State number one. Uh, so we'll get into that some more. Uh, but real quickly, Carson, off the field, um, and, you know, I would say probably some of the earliest co- uh, uh, cases ever that we've had these happen, and also, you know, probably a sign of the times, so to speak, especially when you hear some of the reasoning for this, and I know on the Texas Tech side, you probably have a lot more uh, deeper info in that situation, and maybe you can, can speak to whether or not this was actually part of the situation, but sounding like people wanted to get out ahead of things when they were um, going to make these coaches selections. So we had a firing at Texas Tech that, you know, I know you and I understood, agreed with, and even talked about on, um, you know, previous shows. I think we even discussed it going into the season that he had to have search, a certain markers uh, right. or this would be his last year. But I think the fact that they were 5-3 and three at the time confused a lot of folks when it came mm-hmm. to firing him, um, uh, Matt Wells. And then um, also – um, at TCU, a long time, you know, built the program. I mean, I know, I know, if TCU had some history in the fifties, and but they weren't even close to being as good as consistently yeah. as they have been under Gary Patterson. Yeah, yeah. It just to me, almost. I mean, it, I don't know. I almost feel like maybe I'm doing a little disjustice to their to their history back back then. But it's hard to no, say. No, you're didn't, right. Didn't build the program pretty much. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. I mean, TCU was a was a good football program you know they weren't a great football program by any means they weren't world beaters or anything like that but gary patterson made tcu a on the map you know everybody knows tcu and 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 who the head football coach is at tcu they know that tcu is a good football team they they you know they he went from the southwest conference to the whack and then from the whack to the mountain west and they ran the mountain west with boise you know with boise state and tcu the mountain west was one of the best you know group of five now conferences um in the in the country if they weren't the best uh best of you know group of five conference in the country uh put tcu on the map and and sing you know without gary patterson and what he did with tcu I don't know that TCU gets much bigger than what SMU is right now, which, you know, SMU, they're in the American Athletic Conference. They've had some success here over the years, but Gary Patterson has been consistently good at TCU and had great teams even, and he's won a Big 12 championship already, which is what some schools that have been in the Big 12 since it's, you know, um, very beginning haven't even won a Big 12 championship in. So, you know, so it's one of those things where I think Gary Patterson has built this TCU program to national relevance, hey, and that's a that's a feat right there in its own right. It's the Rose Bowl. I mean, let's be yeah. honest. It's the Rose Bowl. Yeah. He he did that in the Rose Bowl in 2010 or whatever year that was. They won it, and it just happened to be the perfect time. Yeah, Andy uh, Dalton. When the, when the Big guys. 12 was doing the, you know, they had just lost A and M, Nebraska, Missouri. Mm-hmm. All that was happening in the shifts and everything. Um, and in 2011, that was going to be coming around where they were going to be starting out as kind of their own deal uh, and going out for, you know, looking for a couple teams there for a while. 
um, you know, or starting the new face of the, the conference. They were going to be shifting and all that. And it just happened to be at the right time. Um, he put them on the map. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to – that's not to take away from everything else he did. But I just think that moment, if not for that game, that win, that moment at that exact time, I'm not sure TCU's here right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I think it's – you know, it kind of – was a perfect storm and you know they were good in the whack they were really good in the mountain west conference they were the competing for a mountain west championship you got to remember the back in those days utah was still in the mountain west conference mm-hmm. uh, like i said boise state was always been you know a team like that chris peterson's teams at, at boise state were just always really good and then urban meyer built that utah program to what it is now and you know and continue to make that better and and uh what what uh, they've been, Kyle Whittingham's been able to do since then is, is continue to keep Utah at that pace. And so um, the Mountain West Conference was no joke when Gary Patterson was building this TCU program back up to relevance. And because of Gary Patterson, you're right, because they got hot at the right time. They go to the Rose Bowl in 2010. Andy Dalton's one of the best players in the country that year. They have a really great defense. Um, just kind of a perfect storm gets them in the Big 12, and and they've done some big things here in the Big 12. You know, you had Trayvon Boykin, um, that team that, that Trayvon Boykin was on, Tank Carter. Those defenses were really, really, really good. He sent so many guys to the NFL um, and just had great teams at TCU, and they've competed in the Big 12. They've, like I said, they've won a Big 12 championship. That's something that, you know, Texas Tech can't say. That's something that, um, you know, a lot of teams can't say that have been in the Big 12 mm-hmm. since its inception. So, um, you know, kudos to what Gary Patterson built there. But I do think that this is the right time for, for TCU to make a move um, and move forward because the college football landscape is kind of changing and you kind of have to change with it. And I mm-hmm. think for TCU, they got into that that kind of – it was almost like, you know, we're stuck in this – we're, we're comfortable with where we're at, like but we're not, with we're not happy was, with where. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was, it was, we're, we're, um, we're winning, but we're not winning yeah. like we want to. We don't feel like this is going to take us anywhere in the next, you know, five to ten years. And so why not make a change now? And most, and, schools, uh, most schools would be happy there, but for a school that really wants to win on the field, it's almost purgatory. Right. It, it's, right. You have a guy. It's honestly where Oklahoma State's been with Mike Gundy for years. and, and No doubt. No doubt about we'll it. We'll see how this year shakes out. They may finally get over that hump, but um, it's just you, you're. It's good enough for a lot of programs, but not good enough for those that seriously want to win on the college football field because you're not. And again, and there's going to be people. I have this argument with people every time one of these moves is made. Well, you know, what if this? What if that? What if this? What if you don't find a coach that would do that? To me, my answer will always 100% be, unless you're like you know, a Kansas or somebody that's never been any good, you know, uh, TCU's had some decent football history and now I think has built a program that can sustain itself without the coach. That's the deal. When you make Mm -hmm. these moves like this to the people that are worried about what if, what if, what if, if the guy did his job correctly and in many cases, TCU, I think will be that. I think Oklahoma state eventually will be that when they move on from Gundy. If they did the job correctly, the program will survive the coach. If he Mm -hmm. finally, put them on the map like he was supposed to and right. it feels like he did do they're gonna be fine it it may be it may take more than one coach i'm not saying it won't it may take them yeah. a couple but they now have the history the foundation to fall back on and as far as the people who say well you got to be 
you know, you should be content just, you know, winning eight or nine games a year because what if, what if, what if? My answer will always be that's a terrible way to, to think about things, to sit. Well, and over and the last few like, years, they okay, haven't won eight to nine. Yeah, and, and if that's the thing, like, if you're going to be sit there and be happy with that, that's fine. Yeah. The problem is no program is going to do that. If, in this college football arms race, if you're good enough, whereas TCU is, to really be in the mix for big conference titles and potentially a playoff berth at some point, et cetera, et cetera, you need to continue to strive for that. If you don't, you're a dead program. If you're not, basically, if you're not improving, you're dying, and and you need mm-hmm. to to continue to do that. Is that crazy? No, I mean I, I agree, and you know what? It, they it's been a while. It feels like. It hasn't been that long since Trayvon Boykin and that team, uh, you know, shared the Big 12 championship that year, but it has been. Now. It's yeah. been a while. You know, TCU hasn't been, you know, other – you take away the couple weird bowl game wins that they've had where, you know, they beat Oregon in the in the uh, Alamo Bowl a couple years ago with – Destroyed uh, Ole Miss that year. They got With a backup quarterback. <laughs> yeah, and, and with a backup quarterback and then – um, you you throw they have like 18 picks and combined against Minnesota in the Red Box Bowl or whatever mm-hmm. the Cheez It Bowl whatever that one was yeah, you was win bowl so games like that but yeah. but really that's the only success that you can look at for TCU um, over the last few years other than that it's just kind of been ho hum and, and I think that's why this is such a good time for them to make a move um, you know taking my biased Texas Tech fan hat off and just looking at the TCU football program like a like a college football analyst would, or a TCU fan even would. Um, I think this is the time to make a to make a move. There's guys out there that that are you know for for what it's worth, they're at a better spot in their careers than Gary Patterson. I think Gary Patterson was going to be on his way out as far as retirement. Anyways, mm-hmm. there comes a point yeah, in coaches you know coaches tenure where mm-hmm. it's just like you know what when is enough enough. And he's won enough. He's done all of this. What else does he have left to prove? I know uh, a national championship was, you know, something that he wanted. Every coach wants that. But is it something that was attainable? And was he going to win it at TCU? I don't think so. So, um, you know, kudos to their their athletic department for for realizing all of this and and pulling the trigger. It's a weird time, kind of like the Texas Tech story, and and you know, kind of what LSU has done. LSU kind of led the charge on on this you know and usc has done it too before it hadn't worked out for them since they they started this firing coaches mid-season kind of thing but um lsu did it with ed orgeron ed orgeron's coaching the rest of the year but he will not be back next year um and and so it's just been one of those years where i think athletic directors are realizing that you've got to start moving forward Mm -hmm. Whenever you make that decision, you can't wait till the end of the year to finalize that decision because then you're talking about a recruiting class in December now with that early signing period that gets hit hard whenever you fire a coach the last game of the year. And then National Signing Day is a week and a half away, and yep. the kids that were committed to your school, they're like, well, what what are we doing now? What am I supposed to mm-hmm. do now? I don't even know who the head coach is going to be. Well, so I think kudos to TCU, to Texas Tech, to, to USC, you know, LSU for trying to find their new coaches um, in the middle of the year. Now, only one of those schools that I named knows exactly who's going to be the head coach of their next uh, of their you know school the next year. But for TCU, I think they're drawing closer to who they want 
and eyeing um, the person they, they want and need to uh, boost this program back up to national prominence, not just, you know, be a contender in the Big 12. Well, I'm glad you brought up the early signing day. When I was talking about earlier when we, when we first opened this discussion about how things have changed, the sign of the times of the sport, that's another example of what's caused this. Mm-hmm. Early signing days, you know, in the past, the only signing day we had until, what was it, 2017 or whatever they did that. Yep. Um, was the, you know, February day, you know, it's, I think it was like the first Wednesday or second Wednesday, February, whatever it was, that was your, that was your national signing day. And, you know, it gave you time if you did fire a coach to come out and say, okay, well, yes, we fired a coach, but we still have two months to hang on to this class or to work on this class. And we have two months to, to get a name in here that will attract people, et cetera, et cetera. You don't have that now. You have yeah. Basically, the college football calendar is the conference title games, the Heisman, you know, et cetera, et cetera, the announcement of the bowls, and then that kind of lull in between um, your, say, you know, I guess what would it be? Probably the week after the Army-Navy game, uh, mm-hmm. but before the bowl game starts when you have that signing day. So um, it started out as kind of an early thing. A lot of JUCOs get signed or whatever, but now it's turned into this thing where, a lot of these schools, especially in the cases of your big schools, your Oklahomas, Alabamas, Georgias, who pretty much have their classes wrapped up, you see 90-something percent of their classes signed that day now. Um, there's just not a lot of left mystery left in that February timeline. So that's part of it. Um, and I think, too, and this can't be said enough um, for Texas Techs and TCUs and some of those schools. LSU, not necessarily the case, but... The landscape's changing, we know that. And the schools that are still going to be here in the Big 12 after Oklahoma and Texas leave and we turn into the new Big 12 or whatever, um, yes, you have a conference, but no, I would say you, you're crazy if you think you have some serious security. There's nothing to suggest that five years later the conference doesn't disband and you guys don't move on, teams don't move on to other conferences. Right. So, and, and it doesn't eventually, eventually, I know right now it doesn't look like it, but eventually get to those four major conferences we talked about. Well, the reason this is important is you need to have a coach put your program in a position to where you're attractive. So if you're out there struggling along the way in your Texas Tech or your TCU or somebody like that, you don't have any consistency in the program, you're on your second or third coach in five years, you're basically what Texas is going through now, more or less. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you brought in a new hire, and you still don't look great right off the bat. So if you find yourself in that situation, when all this stuff shakes down, and we do eventually, if you if that does happen, shift into, you may not be attractive enough to land in one of these power conferences, and then you're screwed because right. you no longer have a seat at the table. You are probably going to be relegated to basically what we right now we call group of five teams. And, you know, yes, if we expand to the 12-team playoff, all that kind of stuff helps. But as far as you having an automatic bid as part of the power teams in the seat at the table, you may no longer be attractive enough to get that seat. So that's mm-hmm. why when we say, you know, the landscape's changing and people are trying to get out in front of this and et cetera, et cetera that's all factored into this, all of it. Because you can't – that's why, you know, a lot of people, you've probably heard this. I've, you know, I've heard it said. I think I've probably even said it as much this next hire for texas tech was so monumental because they need somebody they needed to get this right they needed to get somebody uh getting the program on track and making them attractive for in case 
this all shakes out because right now you do have some security in the power five but we don't even know under the new big 12 if a lot of people are going to go ahead and yes you'll still have the aq status because the big 12 is still exists and that was part of the original negotiations but you don't know how that playoff committee is going to even view this conference at that point it may not be um yes you may get that kind of aq nod but you may not get that, oh, yes, they play in a real serious conference, so we need to go ahead and throw them in there. That may not happen. So you need to make yeah. yourself as attractive as possible. Oh, no doubt about it. And, you know, with the Texas Tech coaching search, I think that, the, you know, you move from TCU, who had this guy that's been there, the, the all-time winning coach in TCU history, you know, the most successful coach in TCU history because you got to go all the way back to those teams with, with Sammy Baugh and, and when TCU was good in the, yep. the back in the day, back in the day, you know. Um, and Dennis Francione had success before Gary Patterson got there um, and left TCU in a, in a good spot before Gary Patterson took over. Um, but what Gary Patterson did, it, it, it can't be understated, obviously. And so – Losing a guy like that who's like been a staple to this program to a program is a lot different than what Texas Tech is at. The the staple to Texas Tech's program were were Spike Dykes and, and Mike Leach. And ever since those guys, you know, kind of disbanded, as a Texas Tech fan, you know, my life growing up with my dad working in the athletic office, it was it wasn't are we gonna go to a bowl game this year? I hope we can win six games. It was which bowl game do you think we're going to go to this year yep. before the season started? You know, it wasn't worried. You weren't worried about Texas Tech going to a bowl game. It was which one do you think we'll get to go to this year? Um, especially at me as a kid, I was hoping we'd always go to something different, you know, get to go to different places every single year, which we did get to go to a lot of them. But, you know, ever since Mike Leach and that whole debacle and everything else, you know, they bring in Tommy Tuberville afterwards. He had some success, took him to a couple. Uh, you know, Seth Dagey did played really well in the Texas Bowl that year. Um, and ever since then, it really hasn't – there hasn't been a – there hasn't been enough consistency is, is the word I'm looking for yeah. here in the – you know, sending teams to bowl games. Because here at Texas Tech, you know, you love you, – you have the, the idea, and fan base rightfully so – they expect you to go to a bowl game every single year. And I think that is the that is the bottom expectation for Texas Tech fans, which I am right there with them. You know, I would love for Texas Tech to be seven and seven and five at the very least every single year. Six and six is fine. It gets you bowl eligible. Still doesn't make me feel great because you can still have a losing record. You lose your bowl game. You're six and seven. It's not that great of a season. But to win seven games a year should be the the expectation the bottom tier of the expectations for a head coach here at texas tech and the guys after you know tuberville uh kingsbury and wells they just didn't get it done and tuberville bounced in the middle of the night in the middle of a recruit dinner that's still one of the best <laughs> um you know coach leaving stories you could ever come up I with it's like a movie anyway, you, so just... you would make that up yeah i can't stand him either i didn't i couldn't stand him when he was here yeah um but and then kingsbury you know i think they brought him in, and obviously he's had really good success with the Cardinals in the NFL, um, done a great job there if he could just get Kyler Murray back healthy. But for what Matt Wells came in, he, I liked his the, his approach to it, the way that he wanted to win here. It just didn't pan out for him. And I think it was Kirby Hokut, um felt the pressure, and, and it all comes down to, and really uh, for Matt Wells, five and three, I don't know that he would have been fired at five and three had it not been because you know the the loss to kansas state was not good 
the loss to Kansas State where you're up and then you kind of just die in the second half and let Kansas State come back and beat you at home, that does not look good. I don't think that's exactly what got him fired. I think that was just the last, you know, the the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, like, because earlier in the week, yeah, exactly. And that's what happens is earlier in the week, two or two weeks prior to that, there's a question asked at his coach's show right here in Lubbock. It's what do you enjoy um, the most about living in Lubbock, Texas? And he didn't have an answer for it. Like he didn't and say anything it, at all. It, nothing. He said he, he didn't come up with any. He's like, you know, uh, I, I like going and watching my kids play. Like, that's not what the question was for. It wasn't about, you know, what is you your favorite part restaurant about or what? It, yeah, I mean, you like, could have said, like you know, fat guy and say, you know yeah, the, go the downtown. Go, awesome. yeah. yeah, go to Spank, go across the street from the stadium to, to Spanky's and eat the cheese sticks. That's the yeah. first thing Joey McGuire did when he got to Lubbock. Yeah, I saw was go the across the street to Spanky's <laughs> and eat the cheese sticks because that's what fans had told him to do. Mm-hmm. And, and Matt Wells just that lost it for him right there. He was he was done from that point on. And then the loss, you know, the, the loss to Kansas State, and then his his uh, assistant, yeah, one of his assistant coach, defensive yeah. line coaches, going on Twitter and calling a bunch of Texas Tech people idiots and saying who cares that they lost. That was that was the icing on well, the cake. That was the blowing out of the candles. And that's when Kirby Hokut felt the heat from the boosters. Yeah, it was the next um, day. It was the, yeah, next, it was the next day, day that, day that came down on that Monday yeah. and it comes out on Monday and, and he's relieved of duty. And, and I loved, you know, myself and, and I used to do a radio show here in Lubbock with Rob bro, who's been on this, this podcast before. Mm-hmm. Um, we both before Matt Wells was fired before Matt Wells was hired after they fired Cliff Kingsbury. I said, the guy for the job is Joey McGuire. Mm-hmm. He's he was the guy for the job then. He's been the guy for the job ever since they hired Matt Wells, in my opinion. And finally, they go out and get Joey McGuire. And right off the bat, he's been here for a week, for a week, and he's flipped six recruits so far. One from three Baylor, of them, which was a three very of them, key yeah, one. three of them from his uh, alma mater that he coached at and made into a you know Texas fo- high school football powerhouse at Cedar Hill, mm-hmm. and then two of them from right here in West Texas. One's a four-star defensive end that decommitted from, uh, I want to say, from Minnesota. I don't know, somewhere yeah, up in there. School. You're and, on the right track. Uh, it might be. It, yeah, it might have been Minnesota. I can't remember which Big Ten school it was. It was a Big Ten school decommits in the four-star defensive end from post Texas, which is 30 minutes down the road, Mm -hmm. 30 minutes. And Matt Wells did not even offer this kid. (laughs) Hadn't even offered him. Well, and and Joey McGuire, Joey McGuire goes in there and gets a commitment. And the kid is hundred percent committed today. It makes you wonder, you know, and I think this is a legitimate question before we get to TCU and what their plans are in terms of Joey McGuire. I think the question is fair when you ask it this way. You you have a guy who obviously no doubt Texas I don't know if he's in the Texas High School Hall of Fame or whatever if not he should be he, he probably um, should be yeah if he's, he's not already I mean checked. you're talking an all timer you're talking you mm-hmm. know uh, like an Art Bryles or somebody like that that was just yeah. a Gus Malzahn or whatever it was you know just a legendary mm-hmm. um, high school football coach yeah high school football coach everybody yeah. know the guy the program was legendary did it et cetera et cetera yep. Um, because of that, and, and we've talked about it years past with the other guys that had on the show, Colin and them back when we started, who people who don't know, 
it is a big deal, deal recruiting in Texas. It's different than mm-hmm. anywhere else. If the if the coaches association, so to speak, the Texas High School Football Coaches Group does yep. not like you, your life automatically gets 30, 40, 50% harder recruiting in the area yes, than does. the next guy. So it is a big deal. It matters. It's not like walking into Florida. It is a very close-knit group. Um, some would even say somewhat an arrogant group um, that – you know, feels like you need to cater to them just as yep. much the players. Uh is probably the nicest way I can put it. Um That's true. and um if you don't, you will pay for it. They will get together, mm-hmm. they will buddy up and they will shut you out. Um mm-hmm. we've seen it with some of the, the hires that Texas has made in the past with some of their assistants and things and that was part of why Tom Herman was gonna do such a great job there because he had a Texas centric staff, people knew him, you know, they thought he was gonna do an amazing job recruiting, et cetera, et cetera. So all that said, that's why, from that aspect, this is a huge hire for Texas Tech because he is known in those circles. People love him. He spent forever. He's one of them. He's one of their guys. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. at a D, he's he's living the dream that many of them wish they could. He's living the dream that every high school football coach in the state of Texas, you know, whenever you start, now there's a lot of high school football coaches in Texas that, that want to coach 17 you know 16 to 18 year old kids their whole mm-hmm. career mm-hmm. and that's fine but a lot of guys are like joey mcguire or like um coach trailer at utsa or like art briles they're you know they're there's so many guys you know and we've seen um oh I'm todd dodge who went from south lake carroll to to north texas didn't wasn't very successful at north mm-hmm. texas and now he's back at austin westlake and they're a powerhouse just like normal you know they've yep. turned out quarterbacks such as drew Brees and nick Foles and everybody else but um and his son riley's at south lake carroll now but guys like that that have sterling gilbert that, that uh, is a uh, offensive coordinator i can't remember where he's at now he moves around every other yeah. year yeah he was um, in texas then tulsa yeah and... he'll be he's one of those guys that was on tom herman's staff yeah. he'll be he'll be a uh he'll or no he was on uh um charlie um Charlie Strong staff. Well, Charlie Strong staff, and he went to USF yeah. with Charlie Strong. That's the last time I knew where he was. He was the offensive coordinator at USF. But, yeah, you know, it's guys like that that have that have made this jump and that have shown that that they can be successful because they know how it works to go into high schools and to recruit these kids in the state of Texas to earn the trust of the coaches in the state of Texas. And the coaches in the state of Texas, man, they're good old boys club. You know, it's like going to a to a country club Mm -hmm. and if they don't know you they're gonna probably shut you out you know it's hard to get in into country clubs and and good old boys clubs because it's just such a tight community even though there's thousands of coaches in the texas high school football coach association it's still a very very tight community and if you don't have good relationships with those guys you're not going to have a foot in the door you're not going to have the kids you know, coming to your school, it's not going to be that big of a, a win. And Matt Wells, he had he had some of the guys in his corner, but there was a lot of a lot of Texas high school football coaches that if you're not from the state of Texas, if you're not you know born and raised you know blue blooded in the state of Texas, then and he was sorry, an Oklahoma coach. guy. So. Yeah, he's an Oklahoma guy. He he never had set foot in the state of Texas. He he'd recruited a few kids from the state of Texas to go to Utah State, and he'd done a good job with those guys, but. Um, just wasn't the same, but Joey McGuire, completely different. Oh. You know, the reason that Baylor has been able to be so successful um, since the Art Bryles whole thing, I thought one of the best hires that Baylor ever made after the whole Art Bryles thing was getting Joey McGuire from Cedar Hill and making the, him 
their recruiting coordinator and director of football operations his first couple of years there, I think is what his title was, mm-hmm. uh, under Matt Rule's staff. And it made a, a, a big difference for Matt Rule because he wasn't he wasn't great in his first year, but look at what he did in his second, third years. They went to the Big 12 championship game. They were really, really good. Joey McGuire is the guy that held everything together from that Matt Rule's staff. And then Dave Aranda, obviously you can say, well, they weren't any good last year. I think that had a lot to do with Charlie Brewer. It had a lot to do with, you know, new coaching COVID, staff new trying staff, to, trying yeah, to put I mean, in everything. Yeah, the new staff didn't even get to see these kids till like two weeks before the first game, mm-hmm. you know, last year. But look at what they're doing this year. Joey McGuire was able to keep recruits at the school. He was able to keep the kids at the school because Dave Aranda retained Joey McGuire. He saw how important it was. Dave Aranda gets it. He's been around the state of Texas long enough, even though, you know, he's been everywhere else. He started at Texas Tech as a grad assistant. He's been everywhere and anywhere. You know, he knows these Texas high school football coaches. He knows what this thing means. And I think Joey McGuire, this this hire is going to pay big dividends for for Texas Tech. Um, well, and we've already seen it paying off in the, in the recruiting trail. But I think more importantly, it'll pay off in the relationships that you have with your kids. Because if you have great relationships with the players on the field that are in the red and black uniform, they're going to play even harder. And there, you know, comes nut cutting time. That's when you want the guys in your corner. That's the question. And I think a guy like Joey McGuire, he, he makes him he makes him want to win for him. That all adds up to to what the question I wanted to ask and get at real quickly is, we know you know now that you we've laid the base and people understand why a lot of people think this is a big hire. The one rebuttal I have, the question that I think a lot of people have, he's never really been a head coach, on, or he's never been a head coach on the college level. He's he's right. hardly got any coaching experience at all in this level. How does and, and again, I hate to keep picking on Texas, but I think the prime example of you can recruit all you want, but if you can't coach and you can't develop, what good does it do? So I think that is the fair question we have here from anybody on the outside looking in. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a great hire on paper mm-hmm. and, and for a, co- a program like Tech. And, and it really, you know, first of all, I think recruiting is, don't get me wrong, recruiting is massive. We've talked about right. what's the lifeblow to the sport. According if to you, Dan Mullen, if, it's If not. you can't get them on campus, you've got no shot to begin with. Yeah. But we believe that now, at least, especially in the short term, in a couple of weeks we already have that, that proof, but we do believe over the next four to five years or however long he's there, Texas Tech is going to recruit uh, above its head, so to speak, from where it's been over, say, the last 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but do we know or believe or think or have any signs that he's putting a staff together that can coach at this level and get things done at this level because that's the other half of this equation? Right, and that's, that's the main – that's the to-be-determined kind of – answer right because tech fans would love to tell you oh yeah he's gonna be fine he's gonna win football games he's gonna he's he's done it before at the high school level which at the level of high school football that he did do it at Mm -hmm. was at the highest level of, of high school football in the state of texas and we're talking not just one or two state championships this guy was in the state championship or in the race for a state title every single year from 2003 to 2016 when he was the head coach at cedar hill high school and for those of you that don't know where Cedar Hill is, it's just north south of, of Dallas-Fort Worth, right there in the middle. And you're talking about probably the toughest district in the state of Texas. Yeah, it's, it's the it's heart Cedar of, Hill. of high school football in Texas. Yeah, it's Cedar Hill, it's DeSoto, it's Duncanville, it's uh, Waco Midway is in that district. 
and they've turned out guys, you guys up there in Oklahoma, know guys from Waco Midway, even mm-hmm. though he's at SMU now. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's one of those deals where if you can succeed at Cedar Hill high school and play big time games and beat Allen and beat the Allens and, and uh, you know, all these schools that everybody knows Cedar Hill is a staple here in the state of Texas and Joey McGuire made them that way um, in the early 2000s through 2016. He was there for a long time and he's been at Baylor since 2017. And, and even in that short time, he's done such a good job at Baylor as associate head coach. I think he's earned the right to get the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. even though he hadn't spent a whole lot of time in, in the coaching ranks, um, you know, in college football, it's just one of those things where you just kind of know when a guy has that, has the it factor as a head coach. And really, it's not even about being a head coach. It's about putting a staff around you that you know is, is solid enough and it's going to help you win football games. Look at this. Jeff Trailer was only a college assistant from 2015 to 2019, and then he got his first head coaching job at UTSA in 2020 last year, and look what they've done. Yeah. And you can say that he's doing it with, with other guys, you know, recruits and all this stuff, but UTSA was not ranked in the top 25 with that guy. No. They're ranked in the top 25 with Jeff Trailer because he has turned this program at UTSA into a constant winner because he looks at it the same way he looked at, at Texas high school football playing at the very highest level at Gilmer. He put Gilmer on the map, and he was there for almost as long as Joey McGuire was at Cedar Hill. And so that's what I look at. And, and the way that these guys coached in high school, they really haven't changed since they got to the college level. And I think that's why Joey McGuire will have success. They know tens of thousands of high school football coaches from all over the, the state of Texas and Louisiana, Oklahoma. I mean, you can recruit anywhere with these guys. And I think that's the big difference um, for guys like a Jeff trailer for a Joey McGuire and they're personable, man. They're guys that you look at and enjoy McGuire it's funny, you know, his first press conference, he, he goes in and, and first thing he starts with is the Raider power channel. I've never seen a coach get introduced before he's even introduced as the head coach runs into the, to the, uh, you know, pre introductions and says, stops the whole thing. And Raider powers and the media is yelling it right back at him. <laughs> never seen that in my life. Yeah. I've been around tech athletics since the day I was born. So I think he, he's on the right track and it's only a matter of time. So we, so we see how he does on the field. And, and I'm always that guy who's cautiously optimistic. Um, I hope he's, I hope he's the answer. He brings I, energy. I, I'll give him he that. He brings energy. The man like, brings Matt, energy to everything Matt he does. Wells Every did not room bring he steps energy. into, I could see why he'd win an interview process. Yeah. Yeah. And Matt Wells did not bring that no. energy to Lubbock. That so a dead fish. I think that's the difference here. And, you know, Cliff Kingsbury brought an energy to Lubbock that was of, relevance of of he was relevant here in Lubbock. Yeah, I've been there, done that. I don't know that people yeah. thought that he could win a ton of football yeah. games. I thought, you know, it was the cool hire. It was yeah. the only hire to me at that point that kept the fan base in line. Cliff isn't bringing a lot of energy with Tommy Tubber. Right. into anything. But it didn't bring it's you a lot of energy. Style. Didn't yeah. Exactly. And so I think Joey McGuire brings that energy. He brings that kind of old school Texas mentality a little bit. You know what he feels like a little bit to it. after talking to him and seeing him interview and everything. And, uh, and people may think this is crazy. He feels a little Sam Pittman-ish. Uh, the the yeah, hire at Arkansas. When you talk to him, and it may just be that all shucks down home, you know, kind of Texas country accent. But it's it's just the energy, the excitement, just the good old boy seems very genuine. 
has a lot of energy, is always smiling. Um, if you are a fan of that that hire at Arkansas with Sam Pittman, he to me, Joey McGuire is very in that mold. There's not very many of them. They're unique people, but he he to me, you know, and I and this is somebody I've never met the man, so I you know don't right. far be it for me to say that he's just like him, but. On the outside, looking in, watching the interviews, and listening to him talking, everything it feels very Sam Pittman at Ar- at Arkansas. Mm-hmm. That's the I way agree. it comes across. I agree, and and you know what? That in Art Briles was was competitive at Baylor, and people can say he was only competitive because he let you know human beings uh, best you know welfare over yeah he let under him, winning he, he football let the, games but yeah. but oh, you still got to recruit that. the kids you still got to recruit the kids and, and win football games on the field it doesn't matter if you're if you're recruiting convicts or whatever mm-hmm. they still have to perform on the field on a Saturday night and and he got them to do that and he's a successful very successful Texas high school football coach yep. and and I think that there's a, a a reason for Jeff trailer being so successful in his first couple of years. There's a reason that Joey McGuire was successful as an assistant at, at Baylor and everywhere, you know, Jeff trailer was at Texas at SMU. He was, he was successful at those two schools at Arkansas um, from 18 to 19. They were successful at places. So um, I think there's a lot to be said about their success in high school. I think that, but you're right. The energy that he brings a lot like Sam Pittman, it's a home. He makes you feel like he's he's been your neighbor for ten years. You know what I mean? And that's what being a head coach here in a town like Lubbock, being a head coach in a town like Stillwater. I think that's why a lot of people are are still, you know, there's the new age of fans that are upset with Mike Gundy because he's not winning enough or he doesn't win the big games enough. But the old fans, they love Mike Gundy because he's Stillwater through and through. Mm-hmm. You know he's the, he's the, he's the he's the guy there, and, and so I think Joey McGuire kind of brings that same kind of feeling to Lubbock. And we look at the the TCU side of this real quick. You know, recently, as far as earlier today, from the uh, Fort Worth Star Telegram, uh, mm-hmm. sounds like they're moving on from Deion Sanders um, as yeah, a I mean, potential uh, candidate. And we don't know how serious that was. We know there were some talks, you know, I never did quite get the impression his party was super interested in the situation, but I thought they were at least hearing him out. Um, you know, I got a lot of people saying though, why Dion, why Dion? And I wanted to address it because they wanted to be like, well, you know, he hasn't done anything. Um, you know, since Sanders became the the, the head ball coach at, at uh, Jackson State uh, in uh, I think it was September ish of 2020. Mm-hmm. I mean, they yep. the recruiting took off last year. This last year, they it's signed insane. the number they signed the number 55 recruiting class in the country as an HBCU. They finished that, above yeah. Iowa State, UCF, BYU uh, in recruiting rankings. Hell, TCU only finished two spots above them. Pretty sure he finished above Texas Tech too. Yeah, I so I mean, that's was, that's that's just a sign there of what he can do recruiting and the power he brings. Mm-hmm. And then on the field. I mean, they they uh, their first full season. They're going eight and well, one, the, six and zero oh in the SWAC. This year. Yeah, they're they're six and zero oh in the SWAC, eight and one overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, they, they, the their best players got twenty five hundred yards passing, twenty three touchdowns, yeah. the only three interceptions. Well, that's I his mean, son. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Sanders kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Shador. So they, I mean, the guy, 
he's going to a immediately inject life into a program recruiting wise and b he's Deion Sanders. he knows the game so you yeah. know and that doesn't always amount to a lot of times the very best players are absolutely horrible coaches we see yeah. it, especially in baseball we see it a lot in baseball mm-hmm. typically your great players are not good coaches it just doesn't translate for whatever reason they don't make um very good coaches it just doesn't work out that way but in football you a little bit more you see some of it where the really good players are good coaches but still in general it's just not a slam dunk so uh the people who were questioning that i wanted to get that out of the way first the guy is going to he's done enough in a short time to make a case for somebody somewhere to hire him now it may not be tcu but he may need to work up his ladder and Let's be honest. We all know what the the job is out there for him, and eventually he's probably going to take when it comes down to mm-hmm. it as Florida State. I mean, mm-hmm. they're going to want him, and he's probably going to want to do that program back. But anyway, that was the most recent big one we have for TCU. But again, just today, um, that you know, we spent all weekend and last week hearing uh, Dion, Dion, TCU's talking to Dion. Uh, as long as it went, and the fact that we're just now hearing today that it started to go the other way. Tells me TCU probably exhausted every option possible and really tried to, because usually when a coach falls by the wayside in these situations, it's in a couple of days. This went on for a solid week. Uh, we were hearing rumors of Dion might be in the mix of this job, so it sounds like to me they tried, they tried, they just could not make it work. Um, yeah, and with that, and that's you know it's one of those deals too where you had Zach Evans, the running back at TCU, come yeah, out and say they want Deion yeah. Sanders as the head coach. Who wouldn't want Deion Sanders as their head coach? I mean, yep. it, he was a, he was rumored to be in the in the talks with Texas Tech to be their next head coach. Especially as a player. It's one of those deals where he's going to be rumored to be mm-hmm. a head coach somewhere just because he's having success at Jackson State. Now, listen, Jackson State was having success for the last two years. They yeah. fired their coach last year yeah. or in 2019 after going 9-3, and three, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they went 9-3 and, and they fired him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And he's suing them now for um, – because they fired him yeah, for they didn't lack, have probable for cause lack, or whatever. Yeah, probable he, cause to yeah. let him go. And technically, they just didn't renew his contract. But still, I mean, it's one of those deals where they could get um, Dion, so they did. Yeah, I mean, that, exactly. that's basically what they did. Mm-hmm. So, and, and he's been successful, but I think he's one of those guys too that you know, everywhere he's kind of been, there's there's been a little bit of a cloud of. Um, you know, he was at Prime Prep. Who they yeah, the high school stuff. Investigation, yeah, exactly. federal investigation for money yep. and laundering and embezzlement and other things. Um, and then at Trinity Cedar Hill, they got kicked out of uh, the Texas Association of Private Parochial Schools last year because of uh, playing, you know, illegitimate players. They're getting players and moving in from Illinois and Florida, and they're not even enrolling them in class. They're not paying tuition, doing all this other stuff. So I would wait a few years to see how Dion is actually recruiting. In Jackson State, love the guy to death. I, I, I've always been a Dion, Neon, Dion fan. Oh, yeah. But if well, I was a higher our generation, is they're going to be huge. I mean, our generation oh, yeah, is going to be time. massive. Yeah. Dion I mean, who doesn't love part. Dion yeah. Sanders? <laughs> yep. So anyway, and you got to remember, he comes with the Barstool Sports crowd, and he's yep. got a show there and all that stuff too. So yeah, so it's all about media, money. what do you want to bring yeah. to your yep. school. And that's all publicity, but is that the kind of publicity you want at your school? You know, some of those things. So it's all dependent upon how bad do you really want to win? How bad do you, does Dion fit what, how bad you want to win? All those kinds of things. With that said, where does, real quickly before we get into the games, where does that leave you? Um, I, I mean, I, I know it kind of feels like now with that news this afternoon that we're probably kind of back at a stalemate, but what are some of the names you're hearing 
Yeah, uh, I mean, Sonny Dykes is still Sonny Dykes at SMU is still feels the, the most obvious, the, the leading vote yeah. getter in the. I would say he's the the guy in the clubhouse with the with the lead after the first day, um, because and he brings with him Garrett Riley, who's one of the better um, offensive coordinators in the country. Right for those now, who don't know, they're um, at SMU right now. Yeah, yes, they're at SMU right now. And, and Riley is know, Garrett Riley is Lincoln the brother. Riley's Lincoln brother, Riley, yeah. yes. So. Um, and Garrett Riley has been good everywhere he's been. And then, you know, if, if Texas Tech does move on from Sonny Cumbie, he's definitely a name that I think Joy McGuire has circled along with Wes Kitley, who's at Western Kentucky right now um, and is turning Bailey Zappi into a first-round draft pick at Western Kentucky. If you haven't watched them play this year, I would highly recommend that. Is that the uh, same kid who let Texas Tech up two years ago? Yes, again, okay. Houston Baptist. Had like yep, 700 yards. And Wes Kitley was his offensive coordinator at Houston Baptist, too. That's why he's at Western Kentucky now. He had that six-year COVID year, and uh, since Wes got hired at Western Kentucky last year, Bailey Zappi just went with him to Western Kentucky, and now he's just lighting it up in Bowling Green, Kentucky, in the Conference USA. I mean, just lighting it up up there. Wes Kitley's one of the hottest names in college football right now. I mean, not Wes Kitley, Zach Kitley. Wes is his dad, who's the head track coach here at Texas Tech. Um, But anyway, Zach Kitley's another – you know, Mike Leach era. He was he was around Lincoln and all those guys. Well, he's been here. Zach Zach was uh, one of Cliff's quality control guys, um, offensive analysts and assistants when Cliff was here. So mm-hmm. very smart uh, minded kid. But and then the other guy is Billy Napier. But I think from uh, UL Lafayette. Um, but I think Billy Napier. To be honest with you, I think he's the guy that LSU's got to get. Um, he's talk about Louisiana. You want to find a guy that's like second best guy to add a Orgeron in Louisiana? Billy Napier would be that guy. He speaks the language, and by the language, I mean uh, Louisiana has a different language. If none of you have been down there, it's different. Um, he's been so good at Louisiana. Uh, he's put that program on the map, and they were not good before he got there. Um, you know, in the Sun Belt Conference, it's it's a tough conference to win. And Billy Napier's been in the top of that conference the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. Done a great job, recruits really well in the state of Louisiana. Um, so I think those two guys are, are the TCU um, tops there. And because I just don't see Jerry Kill being a real option because there's no way he could just take over. He's, he's He'd be the same. It'd be like hiring Gary Patterson all over again. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I don't know that there's another guy around – that you look at and you're like, man, let's go get that guy. Let's go get this guy. I mean, because, you know, if this was four or five years ago, um, North Texas coaching staff would be very, very high on the list. But ever since, you know, Seth um, Luttrell has kind of gone back down a peg and hasn't been as successful the last couple of years. um, I think his name went from being at the top of a lot of lists to not being at the top, but he's another name I would throw in there just because he's in the DFW. He's, he's relevant. Um, kids know him because he's recruited the area. That's another name I would throw in there. But other than that, I think it comes down to, to two guys, really Sonny Dykes and Billy Napier um, would be my two top picks for who takes over for Gary Patterson at, at TCU. Yeah. It's hard to see. I mean, right now I now there's, you know, how these things go, there could be a name right. that suddenly emerges, but, Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it feels like if if they go get who they want, it's going to be Dykes. Yes, I agree. Uh, to me, that feels like their first choice. So mm-hmm. we'll see what they do there. Um, you know, I I would expect 
the way things seem to be going <clears throat> and the way the trends seem to be going, I would expect them to make an announcement as soon as possible. But yeah. for whatever reason, being that SMU is having a really good season and whatnot, maybe maybe they make them wait until, you know, I don't know, a month from now when things come out. But I know TCU probably personally would rather not have to wait that long if possible because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they again, like we talked about a while ago, they would probably rather get out in front of this deal and, and get a name out there and, um, you know, tell everybody, hey, uh, you know, this is our next coach. This is who yep. we're, you know, get the recruits going, get the court. Because, you know, what he and Riley are liable to be able to do now uh, in quarterback recruiting especially Given yeah. the um, you know case study they put together this year on the field in SMU with what they've done with mm-hmm. that group, you'd like to think they could probably do some really good things there. So, um, no, no doubt. Yeah. So, and there are some quarterbacks still available. If you know twenty twenty or twenty twenty two class, twenty twenty three class, there's still mm-hmm. some guys out there. So, um, you know, I to me it just feels like that right now. Like I don't, especially with the Dion. And I don't think we ever really seriously took the Dion news like super seriously, right. but with that kind of albatross hanging over the thing, it kind of felt like, okay, well, we need to definitely yeah. address this before we move on to the next coaching hire. So, and, and really the only other hot name, I think hot commodity that's going to be out there is Jeff Levy. Um, that's at Ole Miss. He's the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. Um, he's done a great job with Matt Corral uh, at Ole Miss. He's a, he's a Texas native. He played football at Oklahoma. Um, he's worked at, at Baylor and Oklahoma. He's coached at both of those spots, so he knows the Big 12 landscape. I think that would be the only other like outside of the box kind of guy on the list. I think Jeff Levy's going to be on a lot of people's lists mm-hmm. because he's he follows in that same you know um, realm as like a, a Josh Heupel, um, guys like that that have gone from offensive coordinators and done really well with like Heisman Trophy like players. Do you, um, do you know why we're not hearing the name of – I'm forgetting his name. It escapes me. But the head coach at Car- Coastal Carolina more for these Power 5 jobs? Because yeah, it, it, seems I, like, it seems like, you know, the guy's done a hell of a job there. It just seems like that would be a slam dunk guy for some of these Power 5 jobs. Yeah, I think – Is it Jamie something? You know, it's one or? of those deals. I, I think that name. it's – I think that it's a combination of maybe he's – set where he where he wants to be yeah, you know jamie chadwell jamie jamie chadwell yeah. um and really he's he's been at coastal carolina f- only since 2019 so he's only oh, been all? I think at coastal been for a for longer. a few okay. for just a couple years okay. um so i you know maybe people are waiting for him to to you know see if he's successful over the next couple of years. Mm. I don't know. I think, I think he's a name that's on some of their lists, but he's not at the very, very top of their lists. Mm-hmm. Um, Hugh freeze is another name that you're going to see pop up a lot. Um, since Luke fickle is moving to the big 12, what does he do at Cincinnati? Those are all different, you know, storylines um, for coaches like that. But I really think it's Sonny Dykes is the number one guy. If, if they don't get, um, Sonny Dykes, then it'll be interesting to see who they do go after um, and get. But I think that Sonny Dykes is eventually going to be the the head coach at TCU, which I think helps TCU not just keep a recruiting class together, but it'll help them in the the transfer portal. I think you'll see a few of the SMU guys actually transfer over with Sonny Dykes because the new rules now, um, once they go into place and 
I think they go into place in 2022 is the, you know, you get the one transfer yeah. rule where you don't have to sit out a year. So that'll be interesting. And Sonny Dykes actually got a quarterback that uh, from Parish Episcopal there in Dallas. Uh, I can't remember what the kids uh, stone is his last name, but he was recruited by, I mean, every team in the state of Texas, four-star quarterback recruiting Sonny Dykes got him away from TCU, from Baylor, from Texas, from Texas tech. Um, and got him to come over there. And so he might be a kid that, that flips to TCU after redshirting this year at SMU. So it'll be interesting to see what would happen if Sonny Dykes does get the job. But I think he's he's the number one guy for that job now. If Sonny doesn't want to go, he's got a great thing going at SMU. Why would you want to mm-hmm. mess it up? Yeah, exactly. But if again, you can keep you know, Garrett, he wouldn't even really I, have to move. <laughs> I, think, I think even if Sonny doesn't, I think somebody's going to come after Garrett. If not this year. Oh, yeah. If not this year, it's coming. Garrett Riley is quickly becoming, and I'm sure, you know, people are going to discredit that and say a lot of it has to do with his last name. But no. he, he on his own is Garrett done Riley's a brilliant. Effect, a spectacular job, phenomenal job. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I I expect if Sonny stays at SMU, I don't know that he will, but if he does, I expect if not this year, probably next year, somebody comes and gets Garrett Riley and makes him a head coach or at least an offensive coordinator at a big time program. Agreed. I agree wholeheartedly. I think Garrett Riley is right there on the cusp of uh, being, you know, real big time. And Zach Kitley's in that same mm-hmm. that same ballpark as Garrett Riley. Those are the two. Jeff Levy, he's already an offensive coordinator at a big time school, so head coach would be the obvious um, jump for him. And uh, you know, I don't know if that's the TCU, but you know, a place like a North Texas or an SMU, even after Sonny Dykes does leave maybe Garrett Riley takes over as a head coach at SMU that's, so, I guess that's entirely possible too. I didn't really consider you never, that as a move, you just yeah. never know yeah you really never know so it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out but here in Lubbock everybody's uh real happy with the, the head coaching hire and uh eager to get going for Joey McGuire it's been kind of weird the last couple of weeks because he's the head coach of the football team but he's really not the head coach of the football team yeah the rest of the year it's gonna so be a weird dynamic um, I would think. yeah it's gonna be a weird um, dynamic but i think the players have have started you know um liking what what he has to offer and, and so like seeing, is he meeting you know, with him and stuff gonna, too like oh, during yeah. the week yeah or? he's around okay. he's around the program um he's he's there uh he's not like hands-on quite yet yeah. i don't think but but he's instilling some of his ideas and and those types of things he's at practice um you know he's these are his players now so He's got he's to gotta win these guys over just as much as he's got to win recruits over. That's so weird um, to me. It's like recruiting a team full of 65 guys plus the 25 scholarship or the 15 scholarships yeah. that you're trying to get here yep. um, signed and delivered here in December. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see, but I think a lot of people are excited, and he brings that energy to Lubbock that, that Lubbock's been missing for quite a while now. So it, it should be a fun one with him here in Lubbock. All right, <clears throat> let's move on to last weekend's games uh, from Saturday. Obviously, we had some that were you know kind of mon- monumental and important in, in tough <laughs> matchups, and we'll definitely dive into those more. Um, and then we also have a few that were just kind of uh, they speak for themselves from the score, from so to speak. So um, you know, I, I think, and you know, we we maybe need to get into this more in the next couple of weeks. But I think the overwhelming. Um, takeaway from this year that I have is it's just one of those years. It's it's a week to week situation. You know you don't. It's hard to really like. 
For example, people mm-hmm. are going to want to go ahead and put that nail. The people that have been dying to see Oklahoma suck and lose and everything else, especially those who are still mad about the SEC move, um, they're dying to put that nail in the coffin, and they feel like maybe Baylor did that. It's, you can't say that, and here's why. because and, and this is a good example why. Texas Tech turns around, who just got throttled by OU two weeks ago, turns around yep. and knocks off Iowa State, who mm-hmm. people think is a really good team, who – in turn, just beat Oklahoma State a few weeks ago, who is now probably, yeah, beat Texas too, who is now probably, Oklahoma State's probably the best team in the conference right now. Like, it's it's definitely, truly a week-to-week thing. So all I'm saying is before you go putting your nails in some of these coffins out there or saying that we definitely know this team means this or this team team is definitely this, they are who we thought they were. Before you go doing that, you need to let this play out because it it is – it is just proving week to week, back and forth, up and down. We don't know what's coming, who's going to do what. I mean, you know, I could go. Now, I will say this. There is a couple we do know about, and I think one of those is probably Texas. Um, <laughs> it's very clear that they are just they are in a tailspin and can't get out of it. It's a discombobulation. Yeah, it, it's just they are, you know, they're, they're the fighter pilot in the plane trying to save it, and it's spinning around and around and around, and they can't do yeah. anything about it right now. It, it's Kind of hoping the same thing happens in basketball. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a few that I think we can go ahead and kind of say, yeah, we could probably pigeonhole you in this group here, but all I'm saying is just because certain teams won – don't be ready to, to crown them, and just because certain teams lost, don't go ahead and say, yeah, well, that, that definitely means this, because it, it's mm-hmm. truly week to week right now. And no doubt. what we think we know one week, we totally – I can't tell you how many times this week, this year what I thought I knew one week at worst two weeks later was completely changed. Mm-hmm. So let's just – just basically all I'm saying is buckle up and enjoy it. These people who are always out there looking for the hot take and trying to get on top of things and say that – Oh, this means this, or this de- this definitely means X, Y, Z. You're looking foolish, and you're going to continue looking foolish if you try to do that this year. Just yeah. let it play out, and then in December when we get there, see where things are, and you know maybe then make some judgments about people. But for those who are dying to kill off a certain program or dying to crown a certain program, I, I beg of you for your own well-being, just hold off. It's, it's too soon mm-hmm. to do that with anybody. So um, <clears throat> first weekend we get into here, our first game we get into this weekend here, we got West Virginia uh, and Kansas State. And, and I think another case of, you know, we've seen it year in and year out. And I don't know that we got – or week in and week out. I don't know that we've got to really talk about this much because we were at the time still trying to figure out who West Virginia is. I think it's pretty clear. At times they can be pretty solid defensively. They're just not a great offensive team. And I think we kind of saw that again this weekend, Carson. Yeah, most definitely. I, I think West Virginia is – you know, they're a team that they can light up, they can light it up, or they're just not going to be good at all. I mean, mm-hmm. you go from, and they really, I say light it up, they really haven't lit any scoreboards up other than against Long Island mm-hmm. University this year, <laughs> um, which I don't even know if Long Island's won a game. But I didn't you know, know they had lose. a program until West Virginia played them this year. I'll be honest, <laughs> yeah, I'm not right, making yeah. that up. I literally did I not know they had fairly, a college football team until West Virginia played them this year. I think they're fairly new, to be honest with you. They're fairly new, to be honest It seems with like when we um, previewed that game, we discussed that, how they hadn't been around. But we're long. also talking about a West Virginia team that has wins against Virginia Tech. They're number 15 in the country. Mm-hmm. They have a win against Iowa State mm-hmm. at home. They have a win on the road at TCU. And then they turn around and they lose to you know uh, Texas Tech at home. 
Texas Tech we've seen can be just as bipolar as a lot of these teams in the Big 12. You know, you barely lose to Oklahoma at Oklahoma, and then you go to Kansas State. walk-off field goal to beat them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you go to Kansas State, and you just look like you – you just didn't have any life whatsoever. I mean, you talk about it being 34-17. It really was like 34-10. to Yeah. Because they put up seven points in the fourth quarter after the game was already out of hand. Yeah, it was over uh, and, in the fourth, and, going into the fourth quarter. I mean, it Yeah, was I mean, you, they scored three points. They scored ten points in the first three quarters. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Kansas State, for, you know, what they were early in the season, they lost three straight. And now they've rattled off five straight. Yeah, so, they've quietly been pro- maybe I mean not maybe not the best story because you probably got to say Oklahoma State and then also Baylor even though they had the the really disappointing loss and TCU which now they really got to be kicking themselves for yeah. after knocking off Oklahoma. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, Kansas State's quietly been one of the two or three best stories of the year, especially in the absence of Iowa State, who we thought was going to be a playoff contender possibly and definitely a conference yeah. contender in the absence of Texas who after a couple of weeks, especially their fan base, was after the win against Texas Tech was ready to talk about, you know, huge runs and right, playing yeah. in Dallas. Even after losing to Oklahoma, it was still talking about, mm-hmm. well, we're going yeah, we'll to get back to we'll, – Yeah, we'll yeah. get to Arlington. You know, um, th- there's been a void there in that, that you know, maybe, I don't know, three, four, five-ish range of mm-hmm. teams that, that we kept thinking would cycle in and they just keep cycling back out. Kansas State has found a way to win and get it done, and they've – continue to do so and i you know i i think <clears throat> considering where this team was uh roughly around the time they lost oklahoma let's say early octoberish early yeah, it, was oklahoma, it was oklahoma state oklahoma yeah. and iowa state they didn't look good at all yeah roughly of course, that, that had stretch. a lot to do with your quarterback being yeah hurt. being hurt yeah exactly yeah yeah they definitely i mean it's been but, proven a couple years in a row now if they don't have thompson skylar thompson they yeah. are in serious trouble yeah, and you really you look back at that game here in Lubbock because this is funny to look at. You win twenty five to twenty four. Texas Tech had could easily have put that game away, you know, two or three times, and we could be talking about Texas Tech being seven and three, mm-hmm. and you know, you're thinking, wow, seven and three. Again, and that's Wells, the year it's been. Matt Wells is I mean, probably the head coach still at Texas Tech if Texas Tech wins that football game, which is mm-hmm. weird to think about how one point can change the landscape of a of a whole program mm-hmm. or two whole programs really <laughs> um, because Kansas state would have lost four straight big 12 games. Mm-hmm. And going back to last year, I think that would have been eight straight big 12 losses at that point for Kansas state. And then you go to TCU, you win 31 to 12. It, it's like they found their defense all of a sudden in that second half against Texas tech. And ever since then, this Kansas state defense has won them football games. And really it's been the, the combination of, of Skylar Thompson and Deuce Vaughn, because it was all Deuce Vaughn from the get um, against West Virginia. And he goes 25 carries for a buck 21, just consistently good. Um, Skylar Thompson didn't have to do a whole lot. He was consistent once again, 14 of 19. It's not asking him to do a ton, just manage the football game and let our defense do the rest. And they did. And this Kansas State defense, who we talked about in the beginning of the season, they're going to have to be the best part of this football team because, really, you look at their offense, they have Thompson and Vaughn. That's it, right? This Kansas State defense has figured it out. Cody Fletcher, Daniel Green, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the other? Uh, Brents. Uh, they've played really well here in the second half of this season. And Kansas mm-hmm. State, for, you know, what the conference looks like right now, Kansas State could very easily finish in the top three of this conference or top four of this conference and – 
you could be talking about Kansas State with a chance because weirder things have happened at four and three in the conference. They might sneak into the Big 12 championship if, if they get lucky. So it's just weird to, to think about that. But, it, you know, it's kind of a weird deal how those three losses early in Big 12 play. And now they could technically run the table here for the rest of the year and end up being six and three in the Big 12, which yep. is crazy to think about. Yep. And that's, I mean, again, I think there's a microcosm of the season. Not take anything from Texas or from Kansas State. Don't don't take that wrong, Kansas State fans. I'm not saying you somehow fluked into this. I'm yeah. just saying it is a microcosm of the season. Week in and week out, you think you know something and you just don't. And I know that tends to happen a lot in college football, but not like this year. Um, yeah. You know, we, we talked about this. I think I tweeted about this the other day about – I remember reading so many articles coming to this year about how college football needs a palate cleansing. Everybody's tired of the mm-hmm. Alabama versus Clemson every year. And, uh, At least we tired, won't have to worry about know, that this year. Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and, we, and I remember this one article said, we need 2007 again. And that's yeah. basically, this is, for those who lived through 2007, I'm not quite sure this is as chaotic yet. Now, in terms of the AP poll changing like it has, in terms of the upsets, yeah, it's probably I'd have to go back and look at the final numbers, but I'm sure we're at least in that that ballpark of the number of upsets. It, to me, it feels like because nobody is really that good this year, it seems like there's not really a true mm-hmm. complete team. Even Georgia, who people are ready to crown, I'm t- I'm sorry until they play a big time offense that has a defense that has a pulse. I'm right. not. I'm not ready to. Because people are talking about. Well, you know, this is this is 2001 Miami, or this is this and that. They're they're that dominant. There's nobody that's going to be able to beat them. This is 2012 Alabama, et cetera, et cetera. They might be that good defensively. They legit might be that good defensively. Right. But offensively, they're not. They're 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 okay. They're not. They're nothing. Mm-hmm. They're, they are very reminiscent of a lot of SEC teams from those mid 2000s years that were just so elite defensively. It didn't matter. Well, now the rest of college football offensively is caught up and scores points, and you're going to have to stop them. So um, I do think, <clears throat> you know, Georgia's definitely the front runner right now. Don't get me wrong. I don't right. mean that. But this this suggestion that they're unbeatable and they're a elite team, I don't uh, – to me, I'm not sure there's a complete team in college football this year. I'm really not. Um, and as far as on the elite level. And to me, that's probably the biggest difference in um, 2007 and this year you had teams we thought were great rotating in constantly, you know. Mm-hmm. Even with a freshman quarterback, Oklahoma that year, 2007, was really good with Bradford. They were one loss away from being in the BCS title game that year. Yes, um, they were. Uh, you had really good Missouri teams. You had uh, – I'm trying to remember everybody. Florida was good at the time. Pretty sure Kansas uh, was so good at that point, too. Yeah, well, yeah they, were get, they were getting the good that year, yeah. Yeah. Ohio State uh, was in the mix that year. They were pretty good. I mean – Mm-hmm. Um, there were several programs that were with big names that at least looked elite or in that. Ca- this year, you don't have it. It's just a whole yeah. lot of mediocre, and it is kind of a resetting of the scale in college football for maybe another ten years of what's to come. So, um, you know, so that to me again, that's kind of that microcosm of you just have to week in week out see what happens because. What you think you know about these teams, you don't really probably know. Right. You know, or at least and you can't sh- you can't count on them to at least show up and do that every week. You know, the good thing about Kansas and to end this Kansas State thing, we'll find out a lot about Kansas State, and we'll find out a lot about Baylor 
this week and we'll get to the previews on Wednesday, but mm -hmm. we'll find out a lot. Of, and then, you know, I'll be the biggest Kansas state fan on November 26th when they play at Texas, <laughs> because they literally might single-handedly be able to keep Texas at home and not play in December or January, not playing, yeah, whatever. Exactly. Not playing a bowl game. That yeah. would be, you know, Texas has to win the next two ball games. Yep. It's gonna and be interesting. Texas, <laughs> for what they've looked like the last few weeks, it ain't going to be easy. Mm. So, you know, with at West Virginia, where we've seen teams struggle at West Virginia, and then we've seen yeah. Texas Tech go to West Virginia and win. Yep. So, you never know what you're going to get there. And then you got to play Kansas State at home, and Kansas State is shown to be tough. And Texas is without their best player in Bajan Robinson. So, yeah, yeah, that's another thing for the rest know. of the yeah. year, which we'll is get to that be a little huge bit. for them. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in this one here, West Virginia, uh, Daigie just, uh, you know, 27, 27, 45, 268 yards, two touchdowns, but another two turnovers and picks. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Letty Brown again, this offense, when it does have big days and I don't think it's any coincidence, Letty Brown generally has big days and, um, 20 carries, 85 yards is just not good enough. I mean, you know, you, you hand him the ball 20 times, you expect that you need to get 150, 200 yards rushing if possible. Um, you know, 85 is just not quite good enough. Uh, Kansas State do, doing a pretty good job there up front, keeping him kind of under wraps. Um, and, and at times, the, the West Virginia offensive lines look like they've had, you know, they had things together, and then there's been times where they've just been absolutely awful. So, um, you know, it just kind of, again, back to what we were talking about earlier, it kind of depends on what week you get them, but um, Bryce Ford Wheaton, uh, five catches for 67 yards. Just kind of a, a home home day offensively all mm -hmm. around for West Virginia, and I think that was kind of the story of the game. And and you know Kansas State kind had a lot to do with season. that. As far as defensively, Kansas State, you know, they did do some things to have a lot to do with that. But again, it, to me, yeah. it was just a lot of watching the game. It felt kind of almost like they were still hungover from what Oklahoma State did to them last week. Um, where they just absolutely whipped them and, and didn't allow them to do anything offensively. It just To me, it felt like they never really had their stuff together. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think West Virginia – and really, Jarrett Dagey is exactly what Jarrett Dagey is going to give you day in and day out on a mm -hmm. Saturday. He's going to throw for a couple touchdowns, but he's also going to make a couple bad decisions and throw a couple picks. And mm -hmm. if you're not – if you're playing a team like a Kansas State who is – if you give them one inner, you know, turnover, they're going to take advantage of it because they don't really make mistakes. That's yeah. not what Kansas State does. They never really have. Um, they're consistent. They're not, you know, sexy to watch or anything like that. But they're they're who they are. And when you give them the football for free, they're going to take advantage of it. And they're going to, with the way, like I said, with the way their defense is playing, you can't turn the ball over against Kansas State because that's just a it's a death sentence, and that's exactly what happened on Saturday. Um, you know, Kansas State is going to wow you with with uh, their, like I said, Deuce Vaughn was the only guy. He had 25 carries for 121 yards. It's four, almost five yards a carry. Mm -hmm. But really, that was the only guy that jumps off the page at you. Skylar Thompson was Skylar Thompson. Yeah, He's Skylar wouldn't good, didn't have really great numbers either. But good again, game the turnovers, manager, and he didn't have to be that great. Yeah, the turnovers giving them good field position and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, all, and then – you know, also just a slow start by West Virginia offensively, too, yeah. that put them behind the eight ball. I mean, it, yep. you start out down basically 21 to three, um, or well, I guess it would be 17 to three, wouldn't it? 17 to three before you yep. even know what happens going into halftime. Um, you know, which, you know, that 17 points doesn't sound like that's, you know, insurmountable or anything. But when 
first of all, you allow Kansas State to come out and basically match that in the second half, but also you just you you're just not doing enough offensively to really dictate your the game to them. They're 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 dictating to you. You're not dictating to them. So right. Um. You know, it just to me. Them getting behind the eight ball like that was really hard on them because that puts you in more predictable situations. You know, Skyler or uh, Jeff Deggy and or Jared Deggy in, in uh, predictable situations is just not good in my opinion. He's not. No, no. He's. A, he's. I, I don't know if I want to call him a game manager. I don't know if that's fair, but he's. He just. He needs that run game. He needs mm-hmm. everything else to kind of be working, clicking and their offense to stay ahead of the chains more than the average quarterback because if not, this is the kind of performance you're going to get. Yep, yep. And Letty Brown didn't have a great night. That's what I'm saying. He didn't have the support from the run game or anything like that. It just wasn't – I mean, Letty Brown, what was his longest run, like 18, 20 yards? Yeah. Something like that. I can't – I'm not looking at the box score anymore. But, you know, it's just one of those deals where Kansas State dictated the way that the football game was going to go from the very first quarter. And if Kansas State gets out to a 14-0 lead, I think they are probably the hardest team to come back on just because they can control the football. Yeah, they're going to grind to a at that, at that point, they control the narrative. Mm-hmm. They control the whole football game when they get up by a couple scores because they're basically saying – and the time of possession at the end of the, at the, end of the day was not too big of a discrepancy. Yeah, it wasn't a big discrepancy. Uh, you no. know, 33 minutes for Kansas State, 26 and a half for, for uh, West Virginia. But it's just one of those deals where you can't turn the ball – when you get down 14 nothing, you can't turn the ball over – um, and Kansas State dictate the pace, and they dictate the flow, and they did so on Saturday against West Virginia. And uh, West Virginia just you, – you can't get into a flow as an offense if Kansas State's offense is on the field. Mm. Yeah, that's and the thing. They're on the they field ground for it to a halt like they whatever. always do with exactly. the lead. They're, they're maybe the most dangerous program in the conference with the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Iowa State has the ability to do that to you too right. also. I agree. Um, and, and now with the way they're playing defense, Oklahoma State as well – now, mm-hmm. Oklahoma State's offense, depending on what week it is, may not bring enough to continue to dictate that to you, but they at least try. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that that's kind of the part of the problem. You do that, put yourself behind that eight ball, getting a slow start behind these teams like Kansas State that will just sit in the ball, and this is the result you're going to get. So yep. um, there's not really much else we can say about it other than that. We'll see no, how it goes. West Virginia is going to um, have to have two more wins if they're going to become bowl eligible. Yeah. Um and I'm trying to find their schedule in front of me. I mean they're they're playing Texas. I knew they Texas, play Texas at home and then at Kansas. Uh, oh Kansas, okay, yeah, at Kansas. Yep. So and I um, don't think Kansas is going to win another game. They'll be no, riding the high up beating yeah, Texas the rest of the season, and it won't matter. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I think <laughs> I think Kansas A is probably going to not come down off this high for a while. No, and no. B, why would you? Yeah, and B, you know, you've got, you know, well, one, there's only two games left, so that, yep. that's going to be hard for them to, to find another win there. But also, B, mm-hmm. um, I just don't – I don't think that – I hate to say they'll be disinterested in winning because they will want to win another game, but I just right. don't think – I don't think they're going to bring um, that – well, and I don't think Jalen Daniels can play anymore. Yeah, I don't think they're going to bring all that to the table. They're going like to they redshirt him. Yep. So yeah, yeah they'll, they'll redshirt um, him the rest of the year. Well, no, he burned it, didn't he last last no, week? Uh, no, he's got one more game to burn. Oh, I thought the coach said that so they that if they he plays, it, he that was his fourth. Game. No, that was his fourth game. If he plays okay. in one more, then it burns it. So that's the decision they got to make here at the end of the year: is do you burn his red shirt or do you just you know stick with? I can't remember who the third string quarterback is mm-hmm. right now off the top of my head, but yeah. Dean's hurt for the rest of the year and 
Jalen Daniels ain't going to play the rest of the year if if they decide that. So it'll be interesting to see for Kansas. But like we said, West Virginia's got to find a way to win against Texas at home and, and Kansas. And you know what, Texas, we haven't got to them yet, but if Texas loses at West Virginia, this might be the a very, very quick honeymoon for uh, Steve <laughs> Sarkeesian in Austin. Like, oh. Well, one Real other thing, quick. one other thing I wanted to get to with uh, Kansas State before we moved on, there's still an outside chance. There's a guy I follow on Twitter, uh, a friend of mine, Brett, that broke it down. I didn't yeah, realize that down all the there's standings. still a very, uh, it's a tiny chance, but there's still a chance they could end up in the Big Twelve title game. Yep. Um, yep. So keep an eye on that, Kansas State fans. He goes through and explains Baylor. it. Um, basically, it ter- in terms of tiebreakers and all that and points and all that, it's kind of tricky. They can only beat Baylor by so many points. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there's, there's like four other things that have to happen. And they got to hope Oklahoma or Oklahoma State lose their next two games. Mm-hmm. So they Oklahoma they, State would have to lose to Texas Tech and Oklahoma, and Oklahoma would have to lose to uh, <laughs> well, who do they have left? They have Oklahoma and Iowa State. Oklahoma, and I- Oklahoma State and Iowa, Iowa State, State, yeah. yeah. So, so – it yeah. could happen. I mean, there, there's a very outside teams. chance, but just keep yeah. just keep it up there, Kansas State fans. You got a chance to to maybe still make it to Arlington. So, um, all right, let's move on to the next one. Um, you had let's see here, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Baylor, the other eleven o'clock game. Um, obviously, I don't Oof. know if I'd say the shocker of the weekend. I don't necessarily no. think because even Oklahoma fans weren't necessarily blown away by this. Um, right. I think one coming off a of bye week, not really knowing. Uh, well, a traditionally Oklahoma's not been great off bye weeks, but also two not really knowing what to expect with this team. Crap, stupid computer. Hang on. I hate when they do this thing. Like I put it on mute. Why do you? Go- I don't understand how many times I got to mute this before you're gonna keep right. jumping into my stuff. All right. Anyway, so um, but yeah, coming off bye week, not really knowing what to expect, and B playing a really good team and not having really played a really great defense yet, like you do in Baylor. I think this was kind of a let's see what happens thing. I mean, obviously they were confident. They hadn't lost the game all year. But um, let's just say I don't want to say it was expected because it wasn't, and, and and that takes away from what Baylor did. But it was – let's just say they there wasn't a lot of shock and awe. I think a lot of people knew this could happen. Right, um, yeah, and, and Caleb Williams played like a freshman for the yeah. first time all year. And, and that's something I want to get into and we will hear in a minute. But – um, what are you doing? I already muted you. Stop coming on my TV, you piece of crap. I don't know what else to do. Stop. God. Um, but anyway, so, um, yeah, that's something I want to get into here in a minute. But, um, yeah. anyway, first of all, let's talk about what Baylor did. Baylor did an excellent job on defense, um, obviously, and, and we'll get into the, some of the numbers and what they held Caleb to and, and the offense to and all that. Um, but offensively, I thought the thing Baylor did the most. Now, first of all, let me see this. There's this narrative out there. And if you're going to roll your eyes at this, give me a second, and I'll explain why you're wrong. Um, there's this narrative out there that Baylor just wiped the floor with Oklahoma. And if you're out there peddling that, because I'm seeing it in the media, I'm seeing other <laughs> people, that tells me you didn't watch this game. Because right. all that tells me is you went and looked at the box score at the end and saw this that, was Baylor a had, yeah, that Baylor had 200-something rush yards. And, oh, yeah. they just absolutely leveled Oklahoma. That's, that's not what took place. Um, no. Both offenses – could not get out of their own damn way in this game. It was <laughs> it was it was so painful to watch. It was that's what was so frustrating for it as an Oklahoma fan was you're sitting there watching it and even though Caleb had some really bad moments, there were plays to be made. If he makes four or five plays, Oklahoma wins this game. I'm not kidding. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, this final score is twenty seven to fourteen. There are literally four or five plays I can go back and pull up in this game 
if they execute, Oklahoma wins this football game. It's exactly so right. this narrative that they absolutely got wiped off the map that's being pushed out there. And it, it, it's all the way up the pole to like national media are suggesting this. <laughs> and I, I don't want to take anything away from Baylor. They won the game and they won it soundly. They beat Oklahoma. Um, they they did what they needed to do, but to suggest that this all of a sudden means this X, Y, and Z about Oklahoma, or this means yeah. X, Y, and Z about Baylor, and they're suddenly this monster, and et cetera, et cetera. Really not anything different from these two teams going into it than what we thought before, other than, you know, now Oklahoma's got to prove itself against good defenses, because if this was a case of just Baylor's defense is the reason that all this happened, then Oklahoma's obviously in trouble for the next couple of weeks. So that's what we've got to play out. But you know that 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 narrative, if they're out there pushing that, that needs to go away because that just tells me you didn't watch the game. These two offenses were absolutely horrible for two games to, or for three quarters to watch. It was painful to yep. watch. Um, hell, you should be able to get that just from the box score: the zero yeah, to no zero, doubt. seven yeah. to seven, three to nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. we had ten to seven going into the fourth quarter. Oklahoma yep. had brought in Spencer Rattler at that point because Caleb Williams couldn't do it, and that's something I want to get to too with Caleb Williams. Baylor did some things, obviously, to affect him and his play. But also, there just was something off about him this whole game. And, and obviously, there was the sideline injury where he got stepped on his hand. Yep. And that wasn't right. But from the get-go, there was just something not right about him. And the reason why, and people are like, well, it's because he's played a good defense. That is part of it, yes, but it's not the entire story. And the reason why I know that is because a lot of these things took place from a clean pocket with not pressure. Where Baylor mm-hmm. would only send like three or four guys and Caleb had all the time in the world, and in previous weeks would have just pulled the ball and ran. He had – there was I, – I can't tell you how many times, Carson – well, you obviously saw it probably. He had easily 7, 8, if not 10, 15 yards he could have gained with his legs yep. on the ground that he had done in other weeks. Wouldn't take it, And yeah. he didn't take it. And it was just like mm-hmm. – and, 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 and if you watched his feet in the pocket, they even looked heavy. Like he just yep. wasn't – and, and, again, some of it was probably the things they were doing in coverages that were messing with his head. But at the same time – Yeah, the back end. At the same bit, yeah. time, just he just wasn't quite right in this game. And I don't know that – you know, uh, and I'm not necessarily saying that's why they lost. Baylor was the better team. They beat them. But it just – it something – I don't. what I'm saying is I'm curious to see how that plays out going forward against these other defenses because if it turns out that that was – you know, 99% Baylor, 1% Caleb. Well, again, Oklahoma's in trouble the next couple of weeks. If it turns mm-hmm. out that he just had an off day because um, he didn't – and, again, even the throws he made. You know, first of all, the interceptions were stupid. The, the second one especially. They were not good. Yeah, the second yeah. one especially. He was just trying to throw the ball out of bounds and mm-hmm. just kind of got careless and didn't realize, hey, you're yeah, playing – Yeah, made a freshman mistake. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you're playing Division One athletes now, not mm-hmm. high school. You can't just lob mm-hmm. a ball at the sidelines and expect it to disappear. Um, they're going to go get it if you do that. So that was yeah. a freshman mistake. And there were some throws that – but even like, you know, and this may get back to the hand injury, the, there there was three pass plays in, in particular that are probably touchdowns. Two of them for sure touchdowns where he underthrew guys. Mims had his guy absolutely beat down the field. All you got to do is lay it in his arms, and it's six. I guarantee well, you. I've Woods, seen, Woods I've seen Mims do it enough. It's a touchdown if he catches the ball. Um and he just underthrew them blatantly bad to where they both had to come back to the ball. And then, obviously, I thought the throw that was kind of telling that Caleb just wasn't quite right, especially potentially that hand injury, was the throw to the tight end, um, um, oh, Stogner. He's Stogner. six foot five, mm-hmm. 200 and whatever pounds, running wide open. 
probably it's the hardest throw to make, man. Yeah, <laughs> just wide open towards the sideline. I mean, all you got to do is even if you just lob it up and let him run yep. underneath it, that's all you got. He overthrows him by, I think it was like ten to fifteen yards. At they least just, ten to fifteen it, yards. It, yeah. it was just, and again, once you saw, and I remember thinking, once I saw that happen. I thought there's no way he's just not the same guy today. And well, whoever's yeah. whoever's responsible for that, whether it's Baylor's defense, whether it's him, whether it's an injury, whether he's mental, whether there was something wrong with him, whatever, um, he just wasn't himself. And at that point, I knew Oklahoma was in serious trouble because when he can't even hit, uh, you know, the six foot six tight end running out, probably. Mm-hmm. I don't know what was it down by Baylor's twenty or ten yard line somewhere yeah, in that it was ballpark. In Baylor, it was deep yeah, in Baylor's if territory. He, if he catches yeah. the ball, they're at least probably first and goal, if not scores a touchdown. It, so, it's not a, yeah, if it's not six points, yeah. So that to me, uh, from the Oklahoma side of things, I knew they were in trouble at that point. Uh, uh, well, that on top of also another weird thing, Oklahoma's uh, Lou Groza finalist kicker, semifinalist, <laughs> whatever, Gabe Burkett, <laughs> who's been absolutely phenomenal this he's year. He's been nails yeah, hits, all year. He's been hitting 56-yarders, 57-yarders, mm-hmm. hit game winners to beat West Virginia. Well, he misses two chip shots for him. I mean, yep. just uh, to, that's what I mean. And, again, I'm not trying to tell itself either short, but I'm just saying it was a weird day in terms of when all this came together, you knew Oklahoma was in serious trouble and had no shot. So then – that just kept buying Baylor time, even though Baylor's offense looked horrible too. At well, times. and that's the difference. Yeah, you you talked about that. Baylor's offense was not as good. Was not good either. Neither neither team played. You know, neither offense. And was both, good. Defenses both defenses were good. Were good. Don't, I mean, I don't want to take both anything away from defense. Good, both defenses were good. But you talked about really the well. kicking game, and I want to go back. I'll go back to that. But I'll let you finish your thing. But the, you bringing up the kicking game is is exactly the reason Oklahoma lost this game. Those types of the little things. Yeah, they weren't – they just they, – that's the thing. They – Oklahoma had way too many mistakes to win this game. Yeah. And, again, uh, and I, and every time I bring up anything Oklahoma didn't do it, it's going to sound like I'm selling Baylor short. I'm not. They played a phenomenal game, and they did what they were supposed to do. But people who see this are going to want to know, well, what happened? That's fine. I'll take Baylor's yeah. side on this. So I'm trying, I'm trying to explain, well, that's what happened from yeah. the Oklahoma side. Yeah. The Baylor side was – they could not get out of their own way offensively either, but they didn't really have to because Oklahoma couldn't answer. They couldn't. Oklahoma right. couldn't put the pressure. They couldn't get the lead. They couldn't do anything. I mean, the best they ever did was tie it up at seven-seven. Um, and at that point, you know, again going into the fourth quarter, it was ten to seven. And honestly, in my opinion, the fourth quarter is the story of the game because mm-hmm. the first three quarters was again just an ugly mess between both teams. Um, Oklahoma couldn't really get its run game going. Baylor yep, run. was running the ball enough, and this is this shifts to where I want to praise Baylor as we get into the fourth quarter here. Yep. Baylor had a clear plan from the get-go, and Oklahoma's uh, shortcomings allowed it to unfold. It's something we've seen Oklahoma do to several teams for years now, uh, especially TCU. When they play TCU, Oklahoma tends to do this a lot in recent years, especially under Riley, and even before that with Bob. They will commit to the run game early when it doesn't look like it's good, even to the point of frustrating the hell out of the fan base. Oh, you're just running into brick walls. You're not doing anything. Baylor hadn't really broke off many big runs at that point. They had had a couple of them. But for the most part, it was just you're running into one of the better rush defenses in college football, and you're making progress here three yards at a time, whatever, but it's just not really amounting to much. Well, where that paid off was the fourth quarter because Oklahoma had spent three quarters on the field basically – Again, their offense had not done anything uh, of note. Um, they're missing kicks. You know, all this adds up to a defense that's wore out, exhausted, 
and at some point is going to give up and tap out because a they can't get off the field and b you're not getting any help you're you're out there doing everything you can and we've seen Oklahoma do this before in other games this year West Virginia being one of them where the defense just absolutely fought tooth and nail kept them in the game eventually the offense at some point paid it off um it just never came to fruition from the Oklahoma standpoint and Baylor I cannot commend them enough for sticking to that game plan, they said, we are going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and then when you think we've ran it too much, we're going to run it some more. And I think part of that is, A, they're not that great in the passing game. They're just not. No, they, they have weapons not. in Tyquan Thornton and those guys that can absolutely go beat you, but it is not an offense that's going to spread out and light you up. So they have mm-hmm. to commit to the run game. But to do it in the fashion they did with Smith and those guys and just – hey, we're going to keep slugging away, slugging away, slugging away. And the fact that – because here's the thing. If Oklahoma does, for some reason, blow up in the first or second quarter and they're up 21-7 to 7 or, or 28-10 to, to 10 or something like that, it's hard for you as Baylor to stay committed to that because at some point you're going to have to match what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Their, their ability to be able to stay in that game because, again, their defense played its ass off and, again, Oklahoma just – continue the mistake it was a mistake field game offensively for oklahoma one right after another um it gave baylor the ability to say hey we are going to run this ball and we're going to do it and to the point that ou's defense was done and tapped out in the fourth quarter they had nothing left that's when this thing broke open a few big plays mainly uh in that second in that fourth quarter but overall just that whole quarter baylor took control of the game i mean Bohannon hit some big runs that he had to have coming out of the pocket. You know, um, uh, Smith, who we thought was hurt for a while, he had mm-hmm. some runs. I'm forgetting, is it not Tristan Ebner, but the uh, – is it Ebner? Tristan the other Ebner. Runner? Yeah, Ebner, Tristan uh, Ebner. Ebner, the running back, had some big runs there. They they made it pay off. It, it was the beauty of a game plan coming to fruition. You did what you had to do. You slugged away like a heavyweight fight for, for three quarters – and then finally in that last stretch, it all paid off. The floodgates opened, and Baylor started cracking off big runs, big plays. And then on top of that, more importantly, converting them to points. And that's when this game was over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's the difference. And you pretty much summed up this game better than I could. Um, watched the whole thing, and it was just really not great football from either offense ugly, for three quarters. It was it was like watching an old SEC or Big Ten game mm-hmm. from like um, 2007. You know, from yeah, from like 2007, mm-hmm. where they just didn't score. They just kept punting it back and forth to each other, and you know they get a first down and then punt it, and then get a first down and then go three and out or you know whatever. And it was just ugly. And then like you said, Baylor stuck to their game plan. I thought Lincoln Riley. This might have been one of his worst play calling games mm-hmm. that he's had at Oklahoma and adjustments. You the, you, he didn't make you adjustments. The, yeah. You threw half. the ball 24 times. Yeah. You have, I mean, Caleb Williams, really good quarterback. Spencer Rattler was a Heisman trophy candidate, probably the Heisman trophy front runner oh, he coming was. into the year. Yeah, he was. And you have two high caliber quarterbacks. Even if Caleb Williams is hurt, Spencer Rattler can come in and fill in and he's still Spencer mm. Rattler. I mean, the dude's still got an absolute rifle for a right arm. Yeah. He can still chunk the football around and, and there were I thought he there was I thought he was I mean he, he made plays to Michael Woods when he came in the game. Yeah. You know, I think Woods had one or two receptions coming in uh but, for minimal yards well, when Spencer Rattler came in. Michael Woods got two big catches 
got them two big first downs because they were, and then they didn't do anything with it. That's the thing; those plays were there, and that's why that I thought it was a little late making the change to Spencer right. Rattler because you saw Caleb couldn't do it. And the thing is, like I, again, don't want to take anything away from Baylor. As good as their defense was, they weren't perfect. There were plays yeah. there that that's what was frustrating as an Oklahoma fan watching it is there were plays there that could be made that you've seen a Caleb Williams make time and time again, no problem. Mm-hmm. Throws to be made. It's not like, I mean, Oklahoma's receivers were winning some of these battles, no problem. Yeah. And he, he, they just could not get deliver the ball where it needed. It was very reminiscent of the first four games of the year where Oklahoma fans were pulling their hair out. There were things out there you could see that could be made, plays to be made, and the quarterback just couldn't get it done. Yeah. Um, and, I, again, I think when you saw Caleb, whether you thought it was the hand injury, whether it was a little bit of Baylor, whether it was both, whatever the case is, when you saw that he wasn't right, I thought mm-hmm. maybe Riley was a little late in pulling the trigger and going to Spencer Rattler at that point. Because th- to me, if you've watched Caleb play all year, it was evident he wasn't right and wasn't going to be pretty early in this game. Like I would say definitely by halftime, maybe you give him a drive out of the third quarter. At that point, again, if you've somebody who's watched every snap of this year – it was very clear he just wasn't right. And, and yeah. for whatever reason you want to blame that on um, or give props to Baylor or whatever that is, it, it just it was clear it wasn't going to happen for him today. So, and I'm not a big Joel Klatt fan, but Joel Klatt made that reference from the very beginning of the second half, I think. He said, you know, mm-hmm. Caleb Williams does not look great. You've got exactly. a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback yep. sitting on the sideline. It, it Why was, not bring him in and use him? Yep. And, and the game right, may, by the time he brought it, it him may in, not it have mattered, but I, felt, I, right. I feel like had you got Rattler out there earlier, got some some drives underneath him while this mm-hmm. game was still intact, because, again, mind you, it was 10-7 to 7 going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, Nobody had I done mean, anything. And we're talking, you know, it was still 21-14 or whatever it was, 24-14, 21-14. Yeah. Uh, late in the in the fourth yeah, quarter. Yeah, through the fourth those quarter. Those last it was 13 still in points yeah. were not, yeah. Yeah. Those last 13 points were, were so yeah, that's what I'm points. saying. I can do math. If you make that switch to Rattler, because, again, and the people are going to say, well, yeah, you can't go back and forth. That's that's second-guessing him. I'm telling you, if you've watched Caleb Williams all year, there it was more than evident there was a problem. I don't know what mm-hmm. it was. We may never find out. Yeah. Again, the easy thing is going to be able to say it was his hand gets stepped on, but I saw it even before that. He just – he would not and, make know, the plays he was making before for whatever reason. Baylor in the back end was was good all we all all day. I thought they 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 disguised coverages really well, and that's what you know. Ron Roberts he does a good job of of disguising coverages, mm-hmm. and they got five sacks. You know, two of the I think three of those were when Rattler came in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Terrell Bernard had two big ones. I yeah, mean, they were huge the, sacks. Of them were the one of quarter. them, one of them drove Oklahoma out of field goal range, mm-hmm. which would have I think. They, they had a chance to tie it up if they would have had a field goal um, there or at least take it from back from a one to a two score to a one score game. Burkett didn't have the chance because Spencer Rattler got, got sacked at about, they started at about the 32 of Baylor. And I think he got sacked at about the 41. Mm-hmm. And so you're not even thinking about a field goal there. You have to punt it back to him and just big sacks. You know, Baylor had five sacks on the day. It wasn't like they were in the quarterback's face all day long, but when they brought pressure, they yeah, got they to the count. quarterback well, in the fourth quarter, and they made it count. That's what happened, that's too, exactly because what happened. with Rattler yep. in there, you get back to what we saw at the beginning of the year. There's no mm-hmm. real threat. of the, the run game's not nearly as threat, but it him especially, yeah, pin the there's ears no back threat of the go. run game. Yeah, whereas with Caleb, you had to worry about that. But, again, that yeah. gets back to my point of there was something wrong with Caleb. Like, yeah. you saw 
plenty of times in the first half where he could have ran, and he just didn't. Like there, mm-hmm. Baylor gave it to him wide open by only bringing three or four guys. And again, it wasn't havoc. There wasn't four or five guys in his face. It was a clean pocket. He wasn't being yeah. forced into this stuff. He just chose not to do it, and that took away from what the offense could be. If he does that early, it probably changes this entire game because Baylor quickly realized that even though maybe they weren't getting to the quarterback, they were doing enough by only bringing three or four guys on the defensive line and dropping seven or eight, depending on what the situation was. And they, if they're allowed to do that, then you're not going to beat this Baylor team. They're they're good yep. enough defensively that if you're if you're going to let them just be able to do just enough and you're not going to execute and make them pay for doing that, they're going to beat you. There's just no way around it. So to me that again, that gets back to that, that just the game could have changed in that aspect. If he makes a few of those plays or, you know, I'm not saying though you would have won, but maybe things would have been a little different if Riley brings him in earlier, who knows point being finally in the fourth quarter, Baylor's offense got out of its own way. Again, I think because Oklahoma's defense had just had enough, I think they had. Yeah. And Baylor, Baylor executed when Oklahoma didn't. And that was the difference. Yeah. And they made the play. Yeah. They made the plays plays they needed, you know, exactly. Big runs, the big 75 yard run by Abram Smith was huge um, to get the ball. And they got a field goal out of that drive, which was seemed, you know, Baylor fans were freaking out at that point. Mm -hmm. They thought they should have scored a touchdown Mm -hmm. on that drive. Because the game still felt in question at that point. Right. And then the big, the big, the backbreaker for Oklahoma, I think was the big, I think it was a 42 yard run. Abram Smith went out of bounds at about the five yard line. Mm -hmm. Jerry Bohannon ended up, uh, Gary Bohannon ended up running, running in a touchdown. Touchdown, One of his two touchdowns on the day, the one to the right side. And then the extra one to the left side was just the, the icing on the cake. But I think the backbreaker was that one where Bohannon just kind of ran, you know, rolled out to the right. And it was a run pass option of you either run it or you flip it to the tight end. And Oklahoma's defense chose the tight end. Bohannon was smart and heady and made a great play and took it in. And Bohannon yeah. was not great at quarterback. What he was great at was seeing the running lanes and taking the running yeah, exactly. lanes and that again, they gave him saying. all day this long, and he a, rushed for 107 yards. That's so. what I'm saying. They're not a they're not a great threat offensively passing the no, ball. No, they're so not going to wow you, you offensively. If no. you allow their defense to do that to you, exactly. and you don't make them pay, you allow them to sit back there and just play coverage and keep everything yep. in front of them the whole day, eventually they're going to break through on the run game after wearing you down, and then they're going to win a game. Like, I mean, to yep. me – you could not have asked for a better formula for a Baylor win. The only thing, oh I, no doubt, yeah, that's exactly. It of, went exactly how they wanted. It. Exactly. The only thing I can think of would be like in the first half, maybe they wish they'd have scored a little more to give them a little more cushion. Right. <laughs> but other yeah. than that, and they had opportunities. Like but I both cannot. Teams did. Yeah. Again, it was just a horrible day offensively for both yep. teams, and I, I just wanted to clear that up because again, there's this narrative I'm seeing it on ESPN articles, et cetera, et cetera, that Baylor just wiped the fourth Oklahoma, and that means no. this or that means that that's not what it was. A hell of a lot game. closer football. Were, I mean, Baylor. Yeah, it was way. And it was even though Baylor was only could only exhale at the end of the game when that when Bohannon ran that one in on the left side, and that's when Oklahoma's defense. You could just see their heads were hanging. Yeah, they were and, done. You know, it was over. Yeah. It, and I, then obviously tw- it was obviously it was only a two score win. It was twenty four fourteen. But um, smart of Dave Aranda. Now that we know why he did it, kicking the field goal there just in case a tiebreaker. Uh, it does mm-hmm. happen. You got to be over ten points, which in a nine-team division, it makes a big difference. The point differentials and all that. I thought it was a chicken, you know, chicken crap move at the whenever I was watching it, thinking, well, "What the hell are we doing?" I'll be honest. And then, it didn't bother me a whole lot. Like it, bo- it clearly bothered <laughs> Riley. Riley was pissed. Well, um, I think Lincoln was just pissed because he had to bring his kids back. Yeah, th- and that's the thing. That's what I want to get to. People are like, "Well, he's just being a crybaby. He's had kick field goals before." 
I don't think he was so much mad. I think, you know, he expressed that he was mad in the moment. I think he was mad about how it all went down, which I thought no the doubt. 12 no crew and everybody well, and probably here's the other thing didn't is, do a great job handling Why is there not a 15-yard penalty attribute? You know, yep. I go back to Texas Tech, and I said it on Twitter, you know, Texas Tech against Texas that year, the Crabtree makes the catch, and everybody goes crazy. They rush the field twice mm-hmm. here in Lubbock, yeah. and yep. you get two 15-yard penalties, yep. and Texas Tech ends up kicking the kicking off from their own fifth, like own 10 yard line mm-hmm. and Texas receives the kickoff from like the, their 48. Yep. And that and made so things that real was, interesting. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. real interesting because it was only a three point game yeah. at that point. Texas could have won, but you know, if, if they would have moved Baylor back 15 yards for an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, I don't think they would have kicked it. And I think that's another reason Lincoln might've been upset because, mm-hmm. you know, the fans can't rush the field. That's an unsportsmanlike foul. And that wasn't given to, uh, Oklahoma or two Baylor, yep. and then obviously they should have made them. The they, they don't have to have eleven players off the on the field. Yeah, yeah. Baylor, you know, if, if, if you tell yeah. if I yeah. was Lincoln, I'd have just said, you know what, screw it. We're just yep. gonna go to the locker room. Yep. See if they yeah. want to run in a touchdown. Yeah, let them run in a touchdown. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't care yeah. either. No. Yeah. They, I mean, what's the, what's the there, difference at that point? You know yeah. what I mean? There's no difference. Honestly, probably at a protest, I would have just kept him in the locker room and kept on going. No, I would have done the same thing just because I'm. No I'm reason to get them back out there in that mess, potential <laughs> yeah. injury or anything exactly. like that. Yeah, there's just no it's reason potential to it, so. for a kid to punch a another kid that's running out of the stands. Mm-hmm. You know, but you there's know, no things yeah. that can happen. There's no good way of getting out of that. But obviously, nothing bad did happen besides the field goal being kicked and the kids. Yeah, in the, the end, field. everything was fine. It didn't really bother me that they yeah. kicked the field goal in the moment. Right. A lot of people. It was were just upset the way that it, the but... officials the officials messed the whole thing up. Yep, to be exactly. It's all on the guys and stripes. Yep. And then the Big 12 is just a joke in that regard. But, you know what, kudos to Baylor. Big win for Baylor. Huge win for Dave Aranda. Keeps the only right bad the part picture. about that is it just puts Dave Aranda in just a more and more in the spotlight mm-hmm. of the LSU or the USC job. Yeah, so, keeps them, talking uh, about coaching keeps, hires. Keeps but, Baylor in the Big 12 race. Right oh, no doubt about it. Puts them directly in it um, now. Yeah, this last few weeks. If they went out three especially. Or four, three or four teams going to get real interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's roll on to the next one real quick. Texas Tech, Iowa State. Um, Carson, I think this one probably shocked a lot of people, uh, more, even more so than the Baylor, um, Oklahoma game. And I don't know if maybe it's because nobody really had their, their attention on this game that much as far before the game started. And, you know, in terms of nobody was like, Oh my God, that's going to be a really great. I don't think a lot of people thought it was going to be that great of a game. You had Texas tech, you know, uh, just a couple weeks ago getting throttled by Oklahoma, I think a lot of people kind of felt like after that game, that is who Texas Tech is and who they were going to be for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I then kinda, giving up a lead against Kansas State at yep, home. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of got that 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 um, clue from people that after that OU game that, well, yeah, Texas Tech's probably just going to hang it up for the rest of the year. They're just going to kind of be whoever they are. Uh, and then, you know, again, like you talked about, another disappointing situation last week. Um then they go, they, they, well, they're at home, they're at Lubbock, and they bring in Iowa mm-hmm. State and, and knock off an Iowa State team that was riding pretty high off a Texas win. Yeah, I mean, Iowa State was trying to get themselves, if they win this game, they've supplanted themselves back into the Big 12 title mm-hmm. conversation, right? This, losses, is, yeah. this is a huge game for Iowa State because they know exactly, they control their own destiny, basically, at this point. And this is a huge game for Matt Campbell, for Iowa State to get back to the big 12 championship because, and I think a lot of it had to do with, and we're talking about it as sports, you know, sports um, talking figures here in Lubbock, myself, Rob bro, some other guys, 
Um, we're talking about it on radio shows and, and everything here in Lubbock. And it, you kind of got that feeling where Matt Wells was gone. They hired Joey McGuire. You had a little bit of hype around the football program. You had an off week to kind of let everything sink in a little bit, um, you know, prepare for Iowa State. You had the announcement that the freshman uh, Donovan Smith was going to get the start. And this is a kid who I saw play his senior year here at Lubbock Friendship High School, just right down the street, got to officiate a bunch of his games, uh, came over from Bishop Gorman. Uh, everybody knows that program. His dad's the running backs coach here at Texas Tech. Donovan has all the skills, mm-hmm. the intangibles, all the tools that you would want in a Big 12 quarterback. He's 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, he's a huge I mean, kid. He's he can baby run. Cam Newton. He, oh yeah, he's, he's got a, that's a, that, if you want to compare him to somebody, I don't know that he has the speed of Cam Newton, but he plays a lot like Cam Newton did. Mm-hmm. He throws the ball a lot of the same way he runs that, that Cam the Newton did. The same way he does. No he doubt about it. And he's got the broad shoulders. And, and the way this kid carries himself, just being – and his football IQ jumps off the charts at you, first of all. For as young um, as he is, especially. For as young as he is. And that comes with being a kid that your dad has been around college football your whole entire life. Um, his dad's brilliant uh, as well, and hopefully we keep him on as a running back coach. I think if Donovan's a quarterback of the future, I think his dad's got a job wrapped up. But, uh, you know, it's one of those deals where you kind of felt a little bit of momentum for the Texas Tech uh, program, even though they fired their head coach two weeks ago. You know, it's one of those, you know, people, you can go one of two ways. It goes, well, we're down in the dumps. We got it, you know, our head coach is no longer here. Sonny Cumbie, the interim, the offensive coordinator, interim head coach, did a fantastic job. He, the, there's a new, um, you know, mentality that, that they've put into um, into play here. It's the uh, oh, dang, I mean, I just forgot what else. It's you know the they put it on the sideline now. It's the the nodding oh, donkey thing. To, I saw that. What is the mentality uh, called? I, how do I forget that? I'm here in love. And <laughs> I, people didn't, know are that. I didn't realize that's this. what that was. I saw that because I saw him. People are going to kill me. for It hadn't been on the sideline all, all year. Yeah, I saw it written um, on there. But it's, it's, it's one of those deals where, you know, if Matt Wells is here, I don't think Texas Tech wins this football game. Mm-hmm. I really don't because the game plan would have been a little bit different. You don't play as free and easy because technically Texas Tech has nothing to lose at this point. You're trying to figure out a way to find a win here in the well, last three games of the start? regular season. If, if Wells is there, does Smith even start? Because that's that's the thing. It, felt like, it was, felt like Wells just wanted unquote, him to be. Sick. It felt like Wells just wanted him to be basically 2006 Tim Tebow, like behind yes. Seneca Wallace. Yeah, like that's basically what he wanted him to be, to, in my opinion. Yeah, no, and that's uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, especially with with Donovan Smith, I don't think he knew that. I don't think he thought Donovan Smith was ready, but Donovan Smith showed that that he's ready, and rightfully so. I mean, the guy, the kid, took over and and was huge for Texas Tech. Made all the right moves. The interception that he threw, um, you might as well take that off of the list because it was a catch by Travis Koontz, the tight end. He goes down to his back. Oh, yeah. His back. His yeah. back hits the ground. Mm-hmm. The ball flies up off the off of anything, off of his off of his shoulder pads, mm-hmm. and lands in the hands of a, a Iowa State defender. It was a very so weird. the interception. Yeah, and, and they replayed, um, you know, turnovers all night long. They even replayed a turnover that uh, Texas Tech picked one off in the you know deep in their own territory. Taylor Demerson picks one off, and they replay it when his it was never even close to not being a catch. Mm-hmm. So, 
one of those deals where you know it it's always I big guess 12 officials yeah big 12 official I big mean, 12 it, replay it officials I'd love to get in their head weekend. one day but uh anyway I just thought it was a it was a great game plan Miles Price had a huge a huge game this kid has slowly become you know the second you know the the next coming of your small you know Jakeem Grant you go down the line Jakeem Grant um you know, Wes Welkers, the Danny Amendola's, the the little guy that is fast, quick, speedy, who nobody really gives a whole lot of Over chance to. Miles Price has become that guy. Mm-hmm. And so nine receptions for a buck seventy five. Just a huge day. Well, I gotta take a drink. <laughs> it's cool. About to cough. Um, anyways, just a big day for him. Eric Uzakama. Steady again, two touchdown catches, four catches on the day. Um, and then the run game consistent. This is probably the best group besides the receiving core on the team. Tosh Brooks has become a workhorse in the backfield. So Roderick Thompson, Donovan Smith ran 14 times. So Roderick Thompson and Tosh Brooks both had nine carries, but both averaged five yards of carry and 8.9 yards of carry. That's huge. Yep. For a team that's if not Tech known for that, their running game. They're going to give everybody problems. Most definitely. Yeah. And you rush for 207 yards. You have a quarterback who is who defenses have to look at in the running game now. I think that makes this offense even more dangerous. Um, and you know what? Texas Tech has not been able to figure out Iowa State's defense for like the last six years. Mm-hmm. You haven't beat Iowa State in six years. Yep. Feels like we haven't beat Iowa State in a whole century. Mm-hmm. And – Finally, you figure it out, and with a freshman at quarterback, and just a, a masterful performance. The defense played great when they had to. Um, you knew Brock Purdy wasn't going to sit down for long. You knew this offense was going to figure some things out. And, and they had a pretty successful you know, they, day. I mean, yeah, other than I mean, the two he, interceptions, yeah, that he, he, had threw, the two picks, he was good. I, I don't want to take anything away from Iowa State here and just say they got embarrassed. I mean, Iowa State pulled this out in the end, but I mean, uh, Texas Tech pulled this out in the end. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. Xavier Hutchinson. Massive game for him. Eight catches, 112 yards. Brees Hall, again, just the thing about Brees Hall was you got the two touchdowns, so that looked good and it makes it productive, but he did only rush for 51 yards. Yeah, Texas Tech held him to 51 yards, and those 51 yards were hard to come by for Brees Hall. That was probably the the toughest – that was probably the best plan that that, – Patterson has had as the defensive coordinator here at Texas Tech was taking the best running back I think in the Big Twelve Conference. Um, Usually, at least, they're definitely out, the most consistent. You can right, maybe debate if there's the more game. talented guys, but he's definitely the yeah. most consistent. And he took him out of the game. And you're talking about an offensive line that has five super seniors on it, basically. You know, five guys that have been mm-hmm. playing for like eight years in college football. Yep. So. It's not an inexperienced offensive line. Texas Tech's defensive line just kind of took it upon themselves to to have a big game, and they did. And Eric Monroe played fantastic. The transfer, uh, Reggie Pearson played fantastic. The whole, you know, Colin Schooler is the leader of this defense, I would say, along with Rico Jeffers. Great games by those two guys. Um, you look at the, the Iowa State defense, they were hurting a little bit because – um, they didn't have McNeil mm-hmm. uh, or McDonald, excuse mm-hmm. me, McDonald, yeah, for, McDonald. for for about a half. And so that hurt them. And then, uh, you know, but Hummel and, and Eisworth and Rose all played pretty well. Yeah, I mean, they're still a really good defense even without Will McDonald. But Texas Tech was just able to figure it out. And Texas Tech fans were, 
you know, freaking out because towards the, in the fourth quarter, they're thinking, oh, great, you know, we're going to give another one away right here. You know, Iowa State ties it up with over just over a minute left. Um, and then you, you get the ball down. There's I think there was eight seconds left, and, and Donovan Smith throws like this three-yard out route to the to Xavier White out of the backfield, and you're like, crap, we didn't get enough yards. There's no way we can kick a field goal, but Hail Mary time, here it comes. And then you see Sonny Cumbie running Jonathan Garibay on the field. And this is a kid who, in the Oklahoma game, Texas Tech fans wanted to like burn him because he didn't run out. Game? He didn't. He didn't run out onto the field to go kick a field goal. Oh, you know, right. late oh, in the first half. That. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oklahoma game. He, he was late he, to that. He's like yeah, on the, the sideline he and he's like, "Wait, game. I'm supposed to go kick? What? Nobody told me. Yeah. You know, all this other crap." And you're just like, "Well, dang, man!" And then he comes out, and now the kids are never going to have to buy an alcoholic beverage in the city of Lubbock ever again because. Boots what, a Big 12 record, 62-yard yeah. field goal, and, and, and it would have been good know, from 66. Yeah, people who don't know, 67 is the record in college football. Yeah, um, 62 is the record in the Big 12 now. Yeah, it's a three, I think Martin Gramatica had it at 59 in the Big 12 championship one year yeah. when he was at Kansas State. And, and the thing was, like, it, like you said, he hit that. I'm not sure. I think 70, he probably at least hits the top of the crossbar and it still goes. Yeah, in. at like, least. It, it was a bomb. That thing was, was absolutely true, hammered. It wasn't one of yeah. those deals where it just barely. I mean, made it was right down the middle from yeah, the get-go. I mean, he absolutely bombed this thing. Like mm-hmm. you could, uh, if you asked him, if you could get him in front of a microphone, he'd probably yeah. tell you it's the best ball he's ever hit. No, um, no doubt about it. That'd be no my doubt. guess because it was just it was perfect, right down the middle, true, sixty-two yards to win. The, and I, I mean, I was live tweeting the game because I had picked up on it and was following, it, especially that fourth quarter mm-hmm. all the way through before I ended up going back and watching it, rewatching it. I was following the fourth quarter through live, and I mean, I was—I mean, I damn near was running around laps around the living room for the guy. Like it was just—it was uh, just an amazing moment, amazing kick. It, it backbreaker for Iowa State. I'll be honest, I—I I thought no chance at all he was going to make that field goal. They were going to end up going to overtime, and he just—he oh, threw yeah. it away right there. No doubt about it. I'm sitting there, so I'm calling a college basketball game on TV. Um, you know, it's a division two basketball game I'm calling and on, uh, you know, their network and I'm sitting there, what me and my color guy were sitting there watching the tech game and we're in a TV timeout for the basketball game thinking, hurry up, hurry up so I can watch this. So I'm not on TV when this kid's kicking this field goal because I was state used their last timeout. Sure enough, the TV timeout comes back on, and I, I had to stop the broadcast just say, sorry, folks, we're going to watch a 62-yard field goal here, and then it was good, and I went nuts, and I'm sure the people uh, – and it wasn't a game affiliated with Texas Tech, obviously, so I'm sure those people loved it. But, yeah, but I mean, um, regionally where you were at, there was probably some yeah, Texas it, it Tech was, fans. It was definitely, imagine, it was yeah. definitely one of those, and but it was uh, – it's one of you know I've seen a lot of cool things at Texas Tech. The Zach Thomas interception for a touchdown against Obviously Texas the A&M. Play. Uh, the Crabtree play. I stand on the sideline watching that. I still one. think Torian uh, Henderson in the opposite end zone. <laughs> yeah, Torian Henderson laying on the back of Oklahoma players, mm. getting the ball across. Um, you know, big plays like that sticking around. Mickey Peters at Texas A&M caught a pass down the Texas A&M or down the Texas mm. Tech sideline. Goes and scores a winning game-winning touchdown. 2011, like when they upset Oklahoma and Norman with the yeah, and Norman, uh, the yeah, with interception Dagey. they claimed was an mm-hmm. interception, and then the, the <laughs> field goal or whatever. Yeah, and the yeah. lightning delay and, and all that. Just, just big-time games like that. But this game, this might have been the craziest ending, the coolest ending, whatever you want to say to a Texas Tech football game I've ever seen because I've never seen a 62-yard field goal 
be kicked in a football game to win the game, um, much less against a team that nobody gave you a shot in hell to beat. So the only one I can think of big time, big time kick. The only one I can think of not in the NFL that I've ever seen was no shit. uh, My junior or senior year in high school, um, we went and watched. It was Edmund Deer Creek play. I don't even remember who they were playing. But they had a kicker hit 161 to win the, uh, I think it was the third round of the playoff. I think it was to go to the state finals. Wow. If I remember right. I think it was the quarterfinals. This was like 2002, 2003, but it was Edmund Deer Creek. Now I think they just go by the name Deer Creek. But back then they were called Edmund Deer Creek High School. Uh, this would have been like, I think like 4A, somewhere in that ballpark. I can't remember what class it was. But this kid hit a 61-yarder in a high school football game and sent him on to, I think it was to go to the state finals, if I remember correctly. So I got to think, like, I haven't, but outside the NFL, it's very the list is very short of sixty something yarders I've seen. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't ever really see that. Um, and sometimes you'll a see them attempted at like a halftime. Like if if a if a team has the ball with like three seconds left and there's nothing really else they can do, uh, and they need to kill the clock, so they just run the field goal kicker out there and whatever happens happens. But again, to win the game like that, the only other one I can think of. That wasn't NFL was again that high school kick here in the Oklahoma playoffs. You know, yeah. So looking this up, it says it says that Martin Gramatica kicked a 65 yarder against Northern Illinois 1990 and 2000, and uh, Terrence Kitchens Terrence Kitchens uh, made a 62 yarder for A&M in 1999 against Southern Miss. So those were two mm-hmm. non conference games, mm-hmm. but the longest field goal ever made in conference play was Jonathan Garibay's, and my goodness. It was like – it was one of the, the biggest kicks probably – I mean, this kid will remember that for the rest of his life. Yeah. Again, I, I think and, if you ask him, he'll probably tell you he's the best ball he's ever hit. Like, especially oh, in a no game. Doubt. In a game, no I guarantee you he's the best ball he's ever hit. I mean, here's the other thing. Do you practice a 62-yard field goal in practice? Like, if you're just sitting there, you know, messing around while everybody else is doing their offensive and defensive stuff, are you sitting there practicing I, 65-yard field goals from the left hash with – with an Iowa State rush coming no. at you to win well, a football game? No. I think before the game, it. you'll see some of those guys. I know for a fact Gabe Burkich does, the Oklahoma kicker. I've seen him. Right, yeah, they do, they do it before the game yeah, without but not, a rush and, not and all that in, stuff. But yeah. you're not doing it simulating a, a rush. And, of course, I don't think they rushed a whole lot. I think they were setting up a return. And not from and the hash he, mark either. A lot of times when no, they're doing not from that, the it's from dead center rush. on the field when they're practicing that. So And give kudos to Sonny Cumbie or the team captains who um, chose to kick off in the third quarter going the opposite way because the best place to kick in Lubbock is to the north, from the south to the north. Is that the open Unless end zone or the closed end zone? That is – well, they're both closed now. But oh, okay. because of the new – because of the stadium Which one was the, way the one is, that wasn't closed before? The one that Crabtree ran that, into? What end zone the north that? In, the north, north end zone. End zone. Okay. And that's the one that he made the field goal in. That's the way that you always – it's easier to kick to the north than it is to kick to the south at Jones Stadium. And luckily – he was kicking to the north, and my goodness, what a what a what a win for Texas Tech! Deflating loss for Iowa State because all the you know the hoopla that they had coming into the year, you know they got chances at, at being an outside shot at winning oh, the, the greatest or, team they you know, ever winning had. the Big Twelve I mean, that, that, and an outside chance of getting in the college football playoff, and yeah. that was the goal for this year Most was talented to, team to win ever the assembled. Big Twelve and college football playoff. That was what they you know, that was a realistic goal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us thought that I, I'm all admit, I thought Iowa state could reach that goal coming into the year, but well, they just, nothing, for whatever reason, haven't got there. If nothing else, a lot of people, I don't want to say slam dunk, but the big 12 title game was, I don't, 
almost considered a foregone conclusion that yeah, they would at yeah. least make it. Um, no doubt. You know, depending on a lot of people thought it'd be against Oklahoma, but at least them and maybe like a Texas, if not Oklahoma mm-hmm. or somebody like that, it was pretty much a a close to a foregone conclusion as possible that they would make. And it's just it just hasn't been their year. Um, I you know, and a lot of no. people, whether Iowa State likes it or not, whether anybody believes it or not, the narrative is going to be out there that you couldn't do it when it happened, when it mattered, when people said. You are the team to beat this year. You couldn't get it done, and that's yep. that's that's what the narrative is going to be. Yep, most definitely. And they All didn't right. get it done in Lubbock, Texas right. Tech. Ooh, what a win! Forty-one uh, thirty-eight was the final there. Um, Tech obviously now bowl eligible. Bowl eligible um, for earlier, the first time since twenty seventeen. Yeah, this that's is probably huge. the earliest they've been bowl eligible in what a four or five years, probably I would think. Because mm-hmm. yep, uh, since twenty seventeen, didn't the one a few years ago come when they upset Texas? Uh, at the very end of the year? Well, no, that actually was, they were five and seven that year. Oh, okay. And okay. that was, you know, that was Cliff's. Last year or second to last year? Second to last yeah. year, because if he wouldn't have won that game, he probably would have got fired. Okay. But because was, he won that game. I was thinking that was a bowl eligibility game. But the year yeah, before that, the year before that, 2017, was the year that they went um, to the Birmingham Bowl. Mm-hmm. And then the next year in 20, the, the, and of course that was the 2017 Birmingham bowl. The next year was the actual 2017 regular season. I think I, I can't remember how it all worked out, but anyway, yeah. All I know was, is early on October, the way we were talking about things, it was definitely nowhere near Yeah, four and eight. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We, there, we all, and then be honest, if I remember right, some of the conversations we had, at least me and you probably off the air too, was that Texas mm-hmm. not making a bowl game this year. No, I I would I said that a week ago before they even played Iowa State. Yeah, that they they so. just they weren't going to coming off that and then again these last two weeks, especially after getting throttled by Oklahoma, where it kind of almost felt like, okay, they, this team's accepted who they are without a head coach. It's just right. you know, it, I don't think anybody would have put them here. So mm-hmm. uh, again, hats off, bowl eligibility for Tech again the earliest they've done that in several years. Uh, Iowa State, Long see time. where it goes from there. Um, I don't know. I'd have to go back and do the. They're now four and three in the conference, so they um, there's probably still room. They're going to obviously need to beat Oklahoma this week. Mm-hmm. They old. They have a tiebreaker over Oklahoma State, but there's obviously not going to be a tiebreaker unless Oklahoma State loses next week and the, the following week. Two, the bedroom. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's not over by any means. Tech uh, Iowa State still has a shot at at uh, making the Big Twelve title game, but it's definitely just got way harder. So. Um, all right, let's roll into the last two real quickly. Um, I know we don't want to speak this next this one too much. Easy. A lot of people are going to enjoy this, but uh, Kansas goes into Austin and does the unthinkable, gets their second win of the year, first win in conference play, first win on the road in what, like 50-something tries? Yeah, in a long um, time. I'd, and, or in a Power 5 win anyway. I'd have to go back and look. I can't remember what the exact number was. I think it was like 56 games or something like that. I, um, they hadn't won on the road in Power 5 play. Um, but anyway, they go in, upset Texas. Um, I don't, where, do you, do, where do we start here? I, I think we need to start with praising Kansas first of all, I guess, Carson. Yeah. Um, this team, this group of guys – Daniels, who hasn't been the starting quarterback all year, if you for people who haven't really paid attention to Kansas, which I would assume is most of you listening, um, he hadn't been the starter all year. He'd he'd played some, you know, but he, it wasn't like he was just coming in the guy and establishing everything. He came in and had a huge game, 
21 for 30, 202 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, most importantly. Um, uh, Neil had a huge game. Looking, looking every part, the guy that they recruited thought they got when they got Neil. 20th of war carries, 143 yards, three touchdowns. And then Lassiter had th- eight receptions, 68 yards, and a touchdown. Just, um, And this is one of those games. I always talk about this with people in the past uh, when we do these games. If you're one of those fans of the probability charts, this is a pretty fun one to go look at. Um, <clears throat> as far as at what point in the game, what team was most likely to win the game. Um, <laughs> this is one of those that was Texas, 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 and then midway through swing way the hell up above the chart to Kansas. Uh, and then it has a lot of dips and rises, dips and rises, and then dips back down in favor of Texas, and then in the very end, Kansas. Um, it's just a it's a pretty cool win probability if you're one of those people. I like to I think those are pretty fun to look at, and this is definitely a good one. Um, yep. Anyway, where do you want to begin with Kansas, uh, Carson? Just uh, a, well, a spectacular win for them. Jalen Daniels is where I think you have to begin. I mean, that kid, a freshman comes out and his first collegiate start really, I think, or maybe second collegiate start, you know, in Austin at, at Daryl K. Rule Stadium, there's a hundred thousand fans. It's not a game you're supposed to win. It's not a game that anybody's expecting you to win. Um, People are everybody's expecting, everybody's expecting Texas put up 56 points and Casey Thompson to throw six touchdowns, but they're not expecting Kansas to score 57 points. Mm-hmm either so you know everybody texas offense did what they were expected to do the texas defense did none of what they were expected to do devin neal was great he was fantastic i think it it has to do with the kansas offense because everybody knows the kansas defense is terrible Mm -hmm. they're gonna give up points throw that out the window the kansas offense yeah we've seen signs from the kansas offense this year too yeah like they won this they've taken some shots they've shown that they at least possess the ability to be dangerous at times right they won this football game, plain and simple. Um, and they're up. They they dropped thirty five in the first half. I mean, mm-hmm. they blanked Texas. The defense looked good in the first quarter. Kansas up fourteen nothing, and Texas going, "What the hell? <laughs> you know, what the? What are we doing?" Yeah. It's thirty five fourteen everybody's and a half. Had. Yeah, if you were and that's along, whenever I turned to it. If you were falling along, I was sitting, sitting there going, "What the hell?" That first in the first quarter score comes down, and if you weren't watching that game, you quickly were. Because yeah, that's exactly um, what it was. You and, and here's the thing: we all turned it on, and I, I I'm guilty of this too. I had, was watching other games because I wasn't yep. expecting. I was even watching the OSU game uh, at times. And then uh, this is the funniest part about this: is I told uh, my girlfriend when we were watching the game, I said, "Turn on the Kansas game because sadly it'll be more interesting." Uh, yeah, because I was one. expecting yeah. Oklahoma State just to <clears throat> blow them out and win that game. And turned out, like, when we turned it over there, uh, Kansas had just gone up, like, 35 to 14. I was like, well, wait mm-hmm. a minute. It's not the more interesting game, and it's completely for the wrong reasons. Like, mm-hmm. I had no – I was just not expecting that at all. But, yeah. So, 14 to nothing. Everybody thought, okay, it, it, yeah, this is fun. This is where Texas kind of snaps out of it and thing. But right. as, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you know damn well first hand of this year – if you screw around with Kansas in the first half, you're going to be in for the yeah. fight of your life, and that's yeah. what took place. Isn't it funny how Kansas has played the best on the road at Oklahoma and at Texas? Well, Oklahoma they, was Oklahoma's, in uh, Lawrence. But yeah. Oh, yeah, Oklahoma was in Lawrence. That's right. 
but the two best games they played all season were in in Lawrence against Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, it goes back and, to prove Austin, what we always Texas. say: they get everybody's best shot. I mean, yeah, you can't you why, can't overlook any team yeah. in the Big Twelve. I don't care, you know how bad they are; they're still a Big Twelve football team. And if you're um, going to have their full attention, they're going to be problems for you. Exactly. And Kansas, I mean, what else can you say? But I, I don't know what else to say in this game. Casey Thompson was not bad. He threw a real bad pick. Yeah, that pick um, was really the bad. The interception really was bad. terrible. Mm-hmm. But Casey Thompson was 30 of 43. He threw for six touchdowns. Hudson well, and, Card and, and they went back touchdown. and forth with the Hudson Card thing again yeah. this game. They, they played him early Bijan on. Robinson being out, you know, him coming out of the game hurt. Uh, 14 carries for 70 yards yeah, from John Robinson. We need to mention no that. touchdowns. Texas is now without B. John Robinson for the rest <laughs> right, of the year. Right, for the rest of the year. And again, still needs two wins to be bowl eligible. Mm-hmm. And, that, that's, and, and here's the thing it's not only that, they're pretty much down to one really quality scholarship running back. I mean, um, yeah. they You're have, talking about Roshan Johnson, yeah, Roshan who was Johnson, a quarterback. Who was a quarterback years. when he came to Texas, yeah. <laughs> for two um, years, he was a quarterback. Yeah, and um, I forget the yeah. other boy, the other Jonathan guy's name. Brooks. Uh, is, it, is it Brooks? Brooks. Is, yeah. Yep. He, he, he'll he be there running the ball for him, too. But, I mean, mm-hmm. as far as, like, one really super experienced running back, you know. Yeah, you don't have him. Yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's kind of back to where it, if you followed along the show or, or Texas football for the last few years, we've killed them. Uh, before Bijan ever stepped on campus, uh, just the lack of ability since Devonta Foreman right. for Texas to get a running back at all on Which campus. Which makes no sense. And then, yeah, and then not be able to recruit one or develop one, or and again having to move a former quarterback in Russell Johnson, yeah. a running back to kind of stop and the And he's not really there. a running back. He's a bulldozer. Yeah, he's, and he, he's, yeah, he's a good running back. He's I mean, he's a good, solid guy. He, he's a guy yeah. that could play on any Big 12 roster. He's not going to start. Right. He's not going to get most he's of the He's not going to be your feature back. Yeah, yeah he's, not, he's a good, solid two yeah, or three. As a running back, he could make the team yeah. on pretty much any Big 12 roster. So, mm-hmm. um, But, yeah, that that's um, that's going to be tough for Texas. And, and, and here's the thing, Carson, is how do they get out of this tailspin? I mean – you look at their, their you look at their schedule coming up, and you go, well, those are games that they could, you know, at, in some aspects they could win those. But yeah. is there anything right now that gives you the belief they're going to? No, <laughs> there's not. I mean, you're looking at a team that I mean, started off like two and zero, two and zero in conference play against Texas Tech. They just throttled Texas Tech. I mean, they put up 70 against the oh, Red yeah, Raiders. And it could have been Made a lot Texas worse. Texas Tech look like the little stepchild yeah. that is, you know, not worthy. Uh, they made Texas Tech look like Kansas. Mm-hmm. And then you go to TCU, you win a big game at TCU when TCU is playing really well. Um, you beat TCU at TCU. And then that game against Oklahoma where you could have, you felt like you could have won, maybe should have won, but couldn't quite pull it off. And then ever since then, it's just kind of been like, wait, time yeah. out. Yeah, we lost to Oklahoma the, State. Yep. We lost to Baylor. Never really were, you know, had a chance to win it till the end. We lost by a touchdown. We played like crap at Iowa State. And then you come home, you're thinking, okay, we'll beat Kansas. We'll get back on the winning track. We'll be five and six. We can finish this thing up, or, you know, five and five, finish this thing up at, at seven and five and go to a bowl game and, and build from there. And now you're thinking at West Virginia. And then you got Kansas State, who is playing really, mm-hmm. really, really good football yeah, right that's now. The thing. Yeah, you have to go to Morgantown, which can, is not a good without trip. Bijan Robinson. Mm-hmm. Yep. Can Texas win another football I, game? I, I, don't, I don't know. Right now, they've got to be the underdog in both those games. I don't care what West Virginia's done. Yeah. I don't care that they're lacking offense. When you they've now lost their best offensive weapon in Bijan. Morgantown at 11 a.m. Yep. Good luck. And here's the thing: that's not it. They were they had lost at this point in the game. 
Um, they had lost. When Bijan left, what is it? They were now down three or four of their top seven offensive players because you yep. got to remember, Moore left. He quit mm-hmm. the team. He's in the transfer portal. Yep. Um, Worthy, who's playing in Xavier Worthy, who, by the way, I tweeted this out, but it needs to be said on here too. That is a tough, bad dude. They Texas yeah. needs 25 guys like him on both sides of the ball. Yeah. All different they, shape sizes. That kid good. wants to play, wants to win, wants to – is proud to wear Texas on his shirt, wants to go win yeah. for the school, win for the state. He's Roy Williams incarnate is what he is. But honestly, I think he's a better like athlete receiver than Roy, Roy Williams. Williams. Like, oh, yeah, Roy was I a agree. great athlete, but Worthy he's just will tall. absolutely he, fry he's, you. He's Texas. He bleeds – burn orange basically mm-hmm. through and through Xavier Worthy does and this kid I mean you're you're not lying he's if there's a front runner to win the Blitnikoff award this year the best wide receiver Xavier Worthy's got to be at the top of the he list he is going I mean, to especially... absolutely kill this conference the next two years oh like, I'm he is going scared to of Xavier Worthy everybody. I wish there was a rule where you could come out as a freshman and go straight to the NFL because <laughs> I think he's that good he just could say, screw yeah. the rest of college football. He Peace needs to out. fill I'm out, obviously, NFL. physically from that right, standpoint. Right, right, right. Um, he's not quite as physically though, ready dude. as like a Crabtree or somebody like that was or Dez. He's not quite as thick uh, as those guys He's already got were. more speed than them. But, he, <laughs> the yeah, that's the thing. Like, he is already faster than them guys. He's, a, mm-hmm. he's just a he's an insane he's weapon. He's a freak and he's athlete. Lan- and he's yeah. lanky and long. Yep. You typically don't get that kind of speed and that lanky long of a package. Right. Yeah, you don't get – you don't. And uh, it's typically more your Hollywood Browns or somebody mm-hmm. like that that's smaller, D.D. Westbrook that's smaller and can fly. He's like um, he's like another he's like a fast Calvin Johnson. Yeah, in a way, yeah. He's just <laughs> and he's super long, and, and again, he needs to fill out. But that's it. Everything yeah. else, his game's on point, and he's only going to get better. But yeah, uh, no again, doubt. I want to talk because he played on a hobbled leg. But anyway, at this point, you know, Texas is down three or four of their six best players. Uh, on offense with um, oh, it's not Whitty, Witter or whatever. How do you say his name? Whitaker. Whit, uh, that, the Whitaker. receiver that got hurt earlier this yeah. year. The kid um, from Hutto. Um, or from. Uh, oh, I forget his name. But anyway. I think it's Whitt- Whittier. Yeah, Jordan however Whittier. you say his last yeah. name. Um, him, Bajon, you know, again, Moore's gone. Um, at some point in this game, J- Junior Angelou, the offensive lineman, was on the ground, mm-hmm. and I never saw him come back in the game. Um, you know, so it's not just this. They are in trouble going forward. I don't know. Now, they did sit some people out in this game, too. Same thing we saw from Oklahoma, which I thought maybe they'd be smart enough to go. Well, Oklahoma did this and about got them beat. But, nope, they weren't. They they no. went ahead and set out some guys that were banged up. And, again, they, you know, they needed them for the stretch run. And if not now, <laughs> they don't need them for the next two games. Yeah, but sure. when are you going to set them if not now? But at the same time, yeah. you just it, this was too risky from the get-go. Um, you know, you could tell, and again, same problem I have when Oklahoma did this, you're kind of sending the message of, well, we know we can beat this team and it's just, you're just asking for it. In my opinion, you're just, Mm -hmm. you're advertising that they're not good enough and you don't need everybody. And it's just not a good idea. But anyway, um, so that you add all that up there that hurt offensively with all those guys that are going to be missing, potentially missing for longer. We'll see as we get those injury reports this week, but then you throw on top of that. The defense to me, Carson, looks like it's quit. Like it, yeah, it just, that, it, I agree. It looks I done. Completely like agree. it doesn't look like they care anymore. Or they want to play anymore. Nope. They could. They could give a damn. So I. That's exactly what they look like. Especially, I don't know. And, you know the, the two point conversion was just a culmination of that because mm-hmm. the play broke down for for Jalen Daniels. He, he never should have had a wide open 
guy, much less a, a little bitty fullback that hadn't played a down in his life. And how does a guy like that get open against a, you know, a team like Texas? Mm-hmm. How does that happen? It's because the defense has just given up. They've thrown mm-hmm. in the towel. They, uh, they're not here. They weren't there all night on Saturday night. And in Austin, the defense was nowhere to be found. Pete Kwiatkowski, I don't know if he was even in the booth. I think he might have just stayed home on well, Saturday night. And the thing, too, um, about that just play. Just piss-poor defensive play, piss-poor planning, piss-poor play calling on the defensive side. Wasn't any good. And the thing about that Kansas play beat you. that you, you bring up that's interesting is, and I told, I told my girlfriend when we were watching the game after he scored, I said, you know, the thing about it where I do have to hand it to Kansas but at the same time, you want to slap Texas. He is probably at the snap the least likely guy you're worried about catching that ball in the field. Most least likely, yeah. Walk on fullback or whatever he was, mm-hmm. um, playing in there. Yeah, position, H-back, Yeah, and you know they completely lost him in coverage. Mm-hmm. He just they he started out. Uh, if I remember right, I have to go back and watch the play. If I remember right, he started out on the line. Or near the line, yes. just kind of off the back. He started the out in, in like the H-back kind yeah. of wing position. Yeah. And at some point, which again, you know, some plays are just well-designed, he got kind of lost in the traffic, and then all of a sudden he was running wide open over the back of the end zone. And it was just like, I, you know, again, I want to credit Texas or Kansas for a smart play call there and getting the ball to him. Because the play wasn't designed to go to him. You could tell the quarterback was looking for other options. But – you also want to slap Texas and say, how, with all the athletes you have, is there not a guy, at least one guy, that could run with that guy one-on-one? I, I don't get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and, I mean, even your linebackers are better, more athletic, more, you know, quicker, physical, oh, yeah. whatever By you want to say, yeah. than this guy is mm-hmm. and ever will be. Mm-hmm. And somehow he figured out a way to get open, and the dart that Jalen Daniels threw right to him, on the run with a dude oh, in a his face pass. and in his ankles. Great just pass. an absolute dart. Mm-hmm. And just kudos to, to Lance Leipold and Leipold and, and Kansas. The, the big win. That is a huge win for a staff that just got there. That's trying to, you know, kind of rewrite things, mm-hmm. rewrite the narrative at Kansas. You know, Kansas tried to, to give Charlie Weiss a chance, Les Miles a chance. Those those kind of big names didn't have a chance at, at Kansas. Lance Leipold, he's got the kind of mantra, the the the, uh, the guts, the kind of you know I think the the you know intestinal fortitude to take a thing out of Dabo's book. He brings his own guts, mm-hmm. and it showed right there. Going for two for the win, why not? Why not? And why not us? You know, like <laughs> we're Kansas. We're not supposed to win this game. Why not win this game? Prove everybody wrong. Yeah. So, kudos to Kansas. Huge win. Texas just looks like a. Uh, an absolute dumpster fire right mm-hmm. now, for lack of a better word. I don't know that Pete Kwiatkowski, I don't know that he, even if they do win these next two games and end up 6-6, six and six, I don't know that he is retained coming into next year. I think they're looking for a new defensive coordinator. I had a Texas fan ask me um, that earlier. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they handle the coaching staff, especially if they don't go to a bowl game. Well, normally, you know, you would just say in 99.9% of these circumstances, well, it's the first year. It's the first yeah. year. And I think I even but saw – you're in Texas. Yeah, I even think I saw a quote from Sark today saying basically as much. Like, it's the first year, and it's also the third um, defensive corner or defensive scheme they've been under in like four years or something like that. I don't remember the exact terminology, but something like that. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you know – 
<clears throat> that's probably um, a good sign as to uh, what whatever position group and stuff he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Probably a good sign to say that they're probably not just going to cut everybody loose at the, being, at the end of this year. I just yeah. I feel like it does seem like it could be an easy case. It could be made to get rid of them, but um, it just feels to me like Sark is A, more forgiving, B, more understanding. Now, here's what's going to be interesting to see. We all know who really runs that show down there, and it's not the head coach, and it's not even the <laughs> no. So no. It, it's going to be how loud those people get and their checkbooks get and their threats get and everything else. To me, that's what will decide whether or not Pete Kwiatkowski has a job next year. But, you know, I guess to be yeah. TBD, we'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, TBD, next. yeah. Um, all right, let's roll on to the last one real quick and get it done because it was not this one won't really take long. worth talking about. <laughs> it won't um, take long. Oklahoma State abs- continues to be on a tear and just absolutely shreds TCU. Oof. Um, I mean, this was not even uh, – this. I, honestly, it was worse than the score in this case. 63-17 mm-hmm. uh, was the final. The Cowboys' defense, which is just absolutely lights out right now, um, ranks in the top five, top ten of the country in most statistics. Ranks number one or number two in the Big 12 in most statistics. Um, they're running behind that defense, and it's allowing this offense to play, A, more comfortably. Because-